let it fly in the breeze and get caught in the trees. Give a home to the fleas in my hair. A home for fleas, a hive for the buzzing bees. That's for birds, there ain't no words for the beauty. This one at the top. You're listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for American Hustle. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here to discuss American Hustle, spoiler-free at first, with you and Christian Mulkrowski. Uh There is no Christian Mulkrowski. I falsified my records from Back to Birth. My name is Christian Morosky from Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> and with an American Hustle tagline, Kelly Wand. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence's last name should start with three R's. How would that sound, Kelly Wand? Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> Jesus. Kelly Wand, do you have any spelling and, adjustments for Amy Adams? Yeah, Amy Adams. Kelly Wand, how do you feel about the current state of uh, of Bradley Cooper's name? Does that even need any adjustments? <laughs> He's fine. Okay. <laughs> But I'd bang Christian Bale, and I'm not even... Interesting. The Christian Bale as he appeared in American Hustle, not, for instance, the... I think the carpet matches the drapes. Uh. (laughs) Uh, Well, let's see. So we... uh, Kelly Wan, do you want to tell us... This is a big mystery. Kelly Wan saw another movie. Kelly Wan normally only goes to the movie that we're seeing Mm -hmm. in any given week. Kelly Wan, you made an exception this week. You've seen two movies all week, haven't you? I saw, yeah. um, And one of them I saw today, and it was three fucking hours long. Ah, so you went to see Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Should we go? Are we doing it for the podcast? Does Uh, anyone give a shit? Well, we will, uh, you know, we've got a January coming up, and our first uh, episode in January will be our top ten from the previous year. And there might be moments in January, you know, weeks in January where... we all pick that one? Yeah, or maybe we want to dodge some other bullet, some terrible January. Because I think it's the best movie I've ever seen. So, but I don't know if it's going to make my top ten list. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Because you didn't see it with us and agree with the music. Three fucking hours. Oh, that's and by the way, Stacey, well, that's you know that that comes in. I think two hours shorter than Hugo. <laughs> what the doll? Man of a thousand faces. Oh, but uh, day shorter than uh, Desolation of Smog. I spent the whole movie thinking Emma Stone is the female lead in Wolf of Wall Street because she shows them. And then afterwards, I was told it wasn't her. And I also then another chick was Julie Andrews, but it was some giant woman. So who is the lead in, in uh, the female lead in Wolf of Wall Street, if not Emma Stone? Yeah. Who did you confuse Emma Stone for? Oh, her name's uh, Margot Robbie. Margot Martindale. <laughs> oh, that's Wink Martindale's granddaughter. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, so, Dingus, what did we see this week besides – Dingus and I have not seen Wolf of Wall Street. I'm actually what? curious to see it. What, it's only three what? hours long. I know. <laughs> You'd think I could spare. Kelly, what, I, had, I spent 12 hours last week watching, no lie, the first season of American Horror Show. I spent a oh. lot of last week watching television Wait. for Pete's American Wait, Horror you, Show. You, American yeah. Horror Story. I'm sorry. I screwed up the name. At my behest, right? Yeah, yeah. And? Whatever. Uh, well, <laughs> it's original. It's not like, and this first season is supposed to be the weakest. No, I, 
Oh, is it? Oh, well, it's yeah. Um, I I really liked I liked how uh, it was so concerned with female characters. That was cool for for a change of pace. I loved what they did with Frances Conroy and the younger character, and I yeah. love Frances. Hey, that other girl, the Alexandra other. Breckenridge. Boy, there's there's someone to remember. Breckenridge. <laughs> but in the end, Kelly, one, I don't. I, what they did did not require. It's just the nature. Well, let's of try the second season. Because better. It didn't require eleven hours or whatever it takes for that many. Was, it was just a lot. It's just TV. Is it takes so many extra hours to do something that you don't need to spend. That's just. But the pilot, the first episode's really good. So, oh, and then the, by the end of it, I go, oh, I didn't hate that. I'll make Tom watch it. No, I'm glad I watched it. But you know, I, the second I, season's different characters. But anyway, I know, and I, I like that idea. But that's why I didn't go see Wolf of Wall Street. I hope you're happy. Ugh. Well, it's what I thought Emma Stone would look like, naked yeah. and blonde. I go, that's obviously her. It's her eyes. That's how I, because I know women, huh. <laughs> except for Emma Stone's eyes. What did we just see Portia Doubleday in? Uh, oh, no, no, Dingus and I. Cartwright Subprime 1, do you? What, what did we just see? Are you kidding? No, not at all, Dingus. That was, she was the surrogate in her. Yeah, she was her. Uh, not her, that. but she was the other her. Yeah. yeah she was in there. Ah, well, we'll talk about that later. So I think some of these might come up next week, certainly in this, uh, in three by three. Ah, uh, you guys saw her. Let's get first to, oh, yes. to, to what we saw this week. Dingus, what's the official movie of this podcast again? And maybe tell us a little bit about it without yeah. spoiling any of it. We heard her. All right. So anyway, this week we saw American Hustle. A 2013 American crime drama comedy movie mm-hmm. about a – well, according to IMDb, it's about a con man and his seductive British partner. What? <laughs> oh, I see what you're doing. Or are, is it really – does it say that? Is that, the, is that really dig as the IMDb synopsis? Yes. Are you trolling IMDb? <laughs> no, there's, there's more to it, but I don't want to give away the other stuff. <laughs> is it that good? Is it but as good as that? It's gets better than that. It's about hmm. a con man and his seductive British partner who have to do blah, 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 blah. Nice. Uh, it was directed by David O. Russell mm. and written by him with Eric Singer. Uh, not with, and Eric Singer. Not Eric Singer wrote something called American Bullshit, uh, and then uh, David O. Russell turned <laughs> it into American Hustle. Um, so anyway, it stars Jeremy Renner, Amy Adams... Christian Bale, Jennifer Lawrence, and Bradley Cooper. Um, American Hustle was rated R mm. for yeah. yeah yeah for pervasive language. Go on. Some sexual content. Well, yeah, go on. And brief violence. Wait, there was nudity. I know, but it doesn't say that. <laughs> oh, that counts as sexual content. Nudity sexual is, content. Is, yeah. Right. Tom okay. thinks only smoking should get the R rating. Uh, but it is. I, I love the brief violence. I guess getting hit by phones, too and brief, shot in my head. Uh, but I, it was interesting to me to see that it was just sexual content and not nudity. But the the language is pervasive. Right. Uh, Fair enough. Was, Wolf of Wall Street's the other way around. Uh, on Metacritic, which is yeah, <laughs> the average of various reviews, uh, American Hustle is at ninety out of hundred. What? On Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage, which measures the percentage of reviews that are positive, American Hustle, 94% of all reviews are positive. Only 6% of the folks who reviewed it basically said, ah, don't go. At uh, the box office. Wait, wait. Yes, Kelly Wong. I just want to say my dick gives it 104. Your dick goes that high? Wow. 
At the box office, American Hustle opened at number four on the weekend that it uh, opened uh, with a wide release. It made uh, $19 million. It came in behind uh, The Hobbit, Anchorman 2, and it was barely edged out by uh, Frozen in Frozen's fifth week of release. So uh, pretty good considering – you know what? I guess it is a uh, – it's got a lot of names in it. So uh, You know well, what you I've ex- You expect Frozen to do that well because it's vacation. I mean everybody has to – and winter, kids. yeah, it's the G, it's the kids movie. That's I mean, my kid went to see it the second time this week with his cousins. So I mean, that's how boring a week it was for him. <laughs> that came out wrong. Um, have you, when you said edge out, I snickered, Tom. <laughs> like you say when you say most things, but right. I've noticed that like everything you say now, not you, but everyone is right. inappropriate in some way. Like, it's either a sex joke or disrespect to the dead or um, homophobic. How is edging out Frozen somehow inappropriate? See? Did it again. Yeah, that just fills my mind with images. The fact like that it barely cubes, beat out Frozen? Oh, huh. No, okay. it edged it out. Yeah, it reached, it, did it reach did around? Did it reach around on Frozen? Man, I need to bone up on my sexually related <laughs> See? Because what? I'm oh. not getting it. Bradley <laughs> Cooper. Can we get off this? Yeah, really. Uh, all right, maybe I'm wrong. But I've been on that date. I'll bet you have. <laughs> oh, you did it again. Have. All right. Well, Kelly, Wand, oh, yeah. Let's go ahead and spoil. Uh, so, or, um, Were you uh, done with American box Hustle. office news? That's it for box office. Let's let's spoil American <laughs> Hustle and then get into a discussion of, of whether or not we liked it or how much we whether liked it, it spoiled or didn't it or whether or not it was as good as Silver Linings Playbook or Spanking the Monkey. By the way, there's another one. What's well, appropriate about Spanking the Monkey? Why would you do that to a monkey, first of all? Uh, and second of all, why do people snicker when I talk about that? I don't understand, Kelly Wand. What'd you say? Spanking the Monkey is David O. Russell's first movie. Oh. No, it's not. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, School Days was the sophomore jinx. Well, let's uh, – so, Kelly Wand, why don't you uh, – Tell folks what happened in American Hustle to make sure that if they are – to make sure they know. Here comes some spoilers. So, Kelly, why don't you spoil some stuff in American Hustle? Rock you say folks with an L because it sounds too dirty without it. I say right? what with, with an L? Folks. How else would you say it? It has an L in it. Yeah, but it's silent L like the T and often. No, it's an L. It's like, a, it's like an egg yolk. It's folks. never a silent L. Yeah. Not even a Kelly. You say them both. What's the, the President James Polk? That's not a president. Stop making shit up. Wasn't there a president named Polk? Yeah, Polk, Yolk, Folks. Of course. You're saying all of them wrong the same way. Paul, His, Olive, Pol- Allies, all they the Tolkien. Tolkien. Tolkien, right. <laughs> That's true. Tolkien was the token fantasy. Hustle, hustle, <laughs> see, hustle. Of his era. <laughs> Hustle. So, Kelly Wad, w- would you call this an American hustlopsis? Yeah. All right, rock and roll. Kelly Wad. <laughs> I want you to get down with your bad self and give us the American <laughs> Hustlopsis. Did you write that down? I did. I wrote yeah. it and then I read it. But we're on a, a three-week streak of Slopsis suffixes. Good. Rock and roll. That's, that's a record for us. Wow. Attack on Paul or Tom's part. <laughs> Paul's part. What your fucking name is? Paul! <laughs> Why do I keep calling you that? There has, there has to be a supernatural explanation. I must have been a Paul in a previous life, and you just tapped into that. Natural. Just the flash speed dance, Paul? <sighs> Someday Dingus will understand. 
This is the last opsis of O13. Yes, it is. Yeah. Is it a good one, Kelly Warren? Do you feel no, I didn't have a chance to go over it. I was okay. too busy seeing Wolf of Wall Street. So that's my... Uh... It's three fewer hours that could have been spent on the opsis, I understand. Uh, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not dinging you on that. I mean, I've, I'm the one that, that blew 11 hours on um, um, American Horror Show uh, story, whatever it was called, last week. So I'm on season three of Walking Dead. Yeah. See? Walking. You say the L. Walk. Mm-hmm. Wait, I do or you do? Anyone does. Anyone who talks correctly. Wait, say talk. it again. Anyone Don't. who talks correctly says the L in walk. Like Christopher? Yeah. Uh, I guess I get the yolk. <laughs> All right, so Kelly Wan, I want to hear more now about American Hustle. Uh, I want to know what happens in the movie. I want a plot synopsis as only you can do it. Take it away. Mm, it wasn't as good as your dance one. But American Hustlopsis. Some words are all. Not even the subtitle happened. Sam Rockwell's all. <laughs> Man, this new poop. Ah, fuck. Wow. Well, Trouble sorry. right out of the gate. My bad. <sighs> all right, let's take that again. Flipper to gibbet. Flipper to gibbet. All right. <clears throat> Sam Rockwell's all. I mean, Sam Rockwell all. <laughs> JK, Tom. Man, this new toupee glue's amazing. The only thing it's not immune to is Bradley Cooper's derisive finger swipes. <laughs> Bradley Cooper with an afro is all. Hey, this guy with his hair care over here. I mean, uh, Vice Editor Renner here. This briefcase full of kickbacks. Uh, greenbacks. Hey, wait. The front's the money. Green, too. Fucks up with that phrase. I mean, uh, take this bribe and build a children's orphanage for the mob or some shit. Sidebar. In keeping with the news resolution I made three years ago, for the first time I bring a notebook with me to the movie. This way I can write cool shit like this instead of forgetting it. Plus, all these Orange County dipshits will think I'm a... Fuck, I fucked it up. <laughs> Why do I write it hard? Dingus. <laughs> that doesn't sound like homophobia. Plus, all these Orange County dipshits will... Thinking I'm a paid film critic will give my life purpose. Look, pretend I wrote it right. The whole thing. Granted, no lady in this... Uh... All right, you know what? We're going to do it all over again. And keep it with the New Year's resolution I made three years ago. For the first time, I bring a notebook with me to the movie. This way, I can write cool shit like this instead of forgetting it. Plus, all these Orange County dipshits thinking I'm a paid film critic will give my life purpose. Well done, Kelly Wand. Fuck. Shit, maybe I'll get laid again. Granted, no lady in this theater looks younger than 70, even in pitch darkness. But if there's snow on the field, Renner's pompadour is all. Well, outside Amy Adams is... Forge birth certificates and Sam Rockwell's shadiness, your Mexican chic and Bradley Cooper's hair, you guys seem legit. Plus, when a sexy redder with a sporadic British accent flashes this much cleavage, I figure she's just being a good cons titchuant. Uh, trusting people who carry around briefcases full of cash, that's the secret to my political success. See, Tom, being ironic there. I see. That's not from the notebook. Notebook, sidebar two. Upon my arrival, the old man I'm currently sitting beside had his popcorn occupying the seat. When I asked if the seat was reserved, instead of telling me yeah for his popcorn, he sighed irritably and moved it to his wife's lap. Mm. <laughs> Greatest generation indeed. I.J. Kangley said, don't worry, I'll hold it for you. A signature catchphrase that's maybe a lot of friends in rooms darker than this. But the old man pretended he hadn't heard. He smells like an attic. Now he just looked at me. Fuck, have I been saying all this out loud? Hey, yo, Bradley Cooper's character again. 
Here, I'm sliding a briefcase of dirty money over to you. Now, when you take it, could you maybe smile into the side Amy Adams' purse here? No, here, where the lens is. How come there's no flash? Oh, yeah, it's video. I mean, uh, I'm not with the FBI. Fuck. Have I been saying all this out loud? A little more irony there, Tom. It's a callback. Irony callback. Renner's voice goes... (laughs) Sir, is Jeremy Renner's character, having briefcases slid towards me across hotel carpet, goes against everything he believes in. I'm leaving my character's aides here and crossing the street to a bus stop, and I won't change my mind unless one of you follows me and says stuff. Good day. I think the three hours would have been helpful. Sidebar, cool activity for time travelers back to the 70s. Break into the Smithsonian and find paintings of guys with mustaches and vandalize their lips with flesh spray paint. Um, yeah, me again, Sam Rockwell's character. Uh, yeah, they may have called it the 70s, but once I met Amy Adams' pasties, it flew by like a decade. I've become the most successful dry clean in my strip mall just by offering hardened criminals bad loans and hoping they didn't kill me. But once Amy Adams sat at my desk and argued with me in a British accent, we were sitting high on hog butter. I can't tell you how many Joes and Johns with Harry Dicks came in and went, gee, I'm not feeling much richer, but look at those heavenly cinnamon fun bags. Oh, my fucking God. Oh, my fucking God. America, ha boy, yo, 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 But from the montage, it was at least three. Tom? I'm not sure I got that one. I'm going to work on it. There wasn't any irony in it. I see. That was my problem. Sidebar, knowing what's possible besides time travels above my pay grade, but what if we made tiger stripes yellow and bee ones orange for a couple days just to see? Maybe also put black and white stripes on donkeys and release them into the Serengeti once I come up with a cool name for them. Irony? <sighs> I tell. Love this dry cleaner. Yeah, having sex with Amy Adams between conveyor belts of laundry was like every dream come true, literally. Although inside a car wash is still my preference. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence, sun, sun lamp, whatever. I had it all. Two sociopathic sex partners, some hangers, and a Scorsese soundtrack. All that was missing was the script and any semblance of charisma on my character's part. Then fortune vertically smiled on me. Hey, Officer Cooper, FBI and NYPD, we're going to turn this into a caper movie like The Sting, but with Scorsese music. Peesh? I think Jeremy Piven's assistant in Entourage is my mom. Remember that character, Tom? Pit Turtle? Oh, the Asian dude. Oh, Jeremy Piven's character. Yeah, I don't know Entourage well enough to have gotten that. Sorry. But remember Bradley Cooper's mom? I do, and, and I remember not realizing that was his mom until he called her mom. I'm not having sex with anyone until something happens story-wise. Oh, wait, we're in a bathroom stall. Hello. Yeah, my brother and I were going to go ice fishing, but instead we went to a movie theater. And you left disappointed going Goodfellas Boogie Nights Light? What the fuck, Russell? Uh, No, something else happened. Uh, We'll do a callback to this later. That's Louis C.K.'s voice. Sidebar, near the end of the five-minute scene where Louis C.K. wears an eye patch. The octogenarian popcorn enthusiast besides me wheezes. Besides me, <laughs> me wheezes. Look at his eye! So there I was, Sam Rockwell. I tricked Senator Rennett by his staff not looking into my credentials. I tricked Bradley Cooper by Amy Adams behaving as randomly as her accent. And I tricked De Niro by putting him, him putting a bag over my head and cutting away to another scene. But there was one mark left. The critics. Would accents, hair care, tits, and soundtrack be enough to gull the toughest crowd of all internet film pundits? 
a carnival of a film, a kaleidoscopic carnival. An electrified tour de force, David O'Russell directs with a pop rapture. It sends you out of the theater on a cloud of rapture, deliriously alive on screen. Deliriously good fun. A delirious good time, deviously antic, deviously deliriously filmmaking at its most delorable. You want nominations? As we file out of the old man's all. She sure saved money on bras. I'm all. Is your wife's bra stuffed with popcorn? Because there could be another depression any minute, huh? But he reacts like I'm kidding. <clears throat> Let's see under that opsis. Kelly Wan, was the Asian girl from Pacific Rim one of the critics? <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. I'm so glad. It's I haven't seen her in a while. It's career turn. <laughs> she's working on her accent. Just she's more castable in blockbuster summer movies. <laughs> but um, I think we've both come a long way. Her as a critic and me as an actor. Well, I'd like to discuss briefly, Kelly Wan, how far you've come as a critic by pointing out that your favorite movie of, I guess it was two years ago, was uh, when we did our, our lists, your number one pick was Silver Linings Playbook, uh, which Dingus finally got around to seeing. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I picked The King's Speech the year before that, mm-hmm. or two years before that, who think okay. remembers. It was one year we all had the same movie. Um, but I think I'm willing now to admit that I might have been blinded my by my dick on the dance scenes from King's Speech. <laughs> <laughs> Not because it's big, but because I'm staring at it usually. Well, that makes me think you are on this podcast, because I, I love Silver Linings Playbook, but it would Yay! Been my what? You never told me that. You never copped that. I think Silver Linings Playbook is a great romantic comedy. That's I, what I, I thought. Okay so, when, tell me, okay, so what did Dingus do? Because I, I really... Well, we'll it. get to that in a minute, okay. but I just want to know, I, I, I sort of feel like you are our biggest sucker or, or our biggest fan for David O. Russell's uh, mainstreaming, you know, him basically saying, okay, forget I Heart Huckabees, uh, let's just do uh, mainstream appeal stuff. Like, he did that, he did The Fighter, which I haven't gotten around to seeing. Ah, and I, I sort of feel like I think this, this fits into that in some ways. So, Kelly Wan, as our Silver Linings Playbook apologist slash champion slash fan, uh, I want to know how well American Hustle worked for you. Um, okay, I've seen The Fighter and... Um, Silver Linings Playbook, my favorite movie of last year, and this. And of the three, this one's my least favorite. Ah, okay. Except for the boob parts. Um, it's got some really great racks in it, and there's some cute lines, but the tone's all over the place. I think it felt like a rush job. Um, and hmm. it was definitely. Wolf of Wall Street's similar. Like it kind of, but this one's an hour shorter, so I guess by that standard, I enjoyed it more. But I'm, it makes me, my, coming out of it, I went, maybe I should check out Silver Linings Playbook again, just make sure I wasn't really baked when I saw it and blinded by Jay Lore's Badonkadonk. Because you said at the time, you go, dude, you just saw it two days ago, and now it's your favorite movie. You're an idiot. But like Dingus, Dingus's reaction to Silver Linings Playbook is far removed from either of ours. So maybe. Well, his reaction to it is he never got around to seeing it. <laughs> no, that's not true. Dingus he said he saw it like within, a, within just recently. Like he just watched. He just said yesterday ago. after twenty minutes, he went, "I know what this is," and stopped watching it. Oh, but know. then he finished it and oh, he did came in while I was doing something else and said something like, "Oh, I might have been wrong about that." 
Uh, what? That's, that's my impression that, of Dingus' voice. That's such a good impression. I, I felt like I was just listening to myself talk for a minute. <laughs> All right, so Kelly Wand, a little disappointed in American Hustle. It, it ranks as the, the lowest of David O. Russell's mainstream appeal movies for you at this point. Um, I think it's worth seeing for, like, the acting's not bad, but the writing's weak, and I think Dingus is going to get upset. Well, okay, well, hold that thought. So, Dingus, now get in here uh, and give us a, a briefing on where you stand with Silver Linings Playbook, and then... Uh, how American Hustle worked for you. Uh, yeah, about 20 minutes into uh, Silver Lines Playbook, um, I did uh, need to go and do other things. <laughs> and I felt like, yeah, I know where this is. I mean, there's this scene with Julia Stiles yelling out the window of her house to her henpecked husband, and it looks like a movie of the week. Who played her husband, by the way? Was that John Ortiz? I don't know. I don't know who that was. Um, but it just it felt really weird, uh Robert De Niro felt weird. I didn't get what uh, Jackie, um, darn it, what's her name? Weaver. Jackie Weaver was was doing in this movie. It just felt this. It felt very weird. But as soon as Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence meet, the movie takes off. <laughs> Good yeah, remember their date? Um, yeah, and that was a great date. And you know, sure, it's it's pretty people pretending to be ugly, crazy people, uh, but they were so good. And the weird thing about David or Russell, because you know he's got he has this he had this early reputation, I think, from this Lily Tomlin thing of just being horrible to actors. Before but, that, with uh, Three Kings, Clooney said it was the worst experience of his life because he yelled at a PA or something on the set. Really? Yeah. Well, the thing is, he he's he's so. He seems so generous in letting his actors play together and giving them a chance to be a little indulgent, but not. I mean, and and letting them sort of flex and have a little chemistry. And uh, and once Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence get together and start to uh, start to riff, um, I really grooved on it. And plus, there's a singing in the rain thing that happens in the middle of Silver Linings Playbook, and uh, I. I ended up really, really, really yeah, liking. I, I mean, I don't think it would have ended up on my list, but I can't fault you for putting it on yours, Kelly. Um, and I ended up really, really liking Silver Lines. I think the novelty, like, I don't read a lot of locked room mysteries, and I don't see a lot of romantic comedies. So when I do see one that's got that, it kind of, it maybe if when it, one's good, it affects me more than it would for people who just see ten million of them. I thought the the fight at the at the football stadium was stupid. Uh, there are things that uh, I, I really could have could have done without in in Silver Linings Playbook, but um, but overall I I really liked it because Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence are so good. They're just so good. Or see where she owns De Niro's good. I thought the scene what where she owns De Niro at sports shit. Tell you why wasn't that on your list of favorite comeuppances then? Yeah, that's that's cute, but it's artificial. I mean, there's a lot of that in romantic comedies, and that's fine. Well, they didn't do the real dance. Uh, Watch. And I really couldn't care less about all that oh. all that football crap. I mean, no, it's, I it's, it's, it's just so stuff. slavish. Uh, uh, see, I prefer if, if you're going to deal with the, the <laughs> Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> there's Dingus hating on twelve. I know. Why is he? There's it all means something. That's my point. Yeah. It's a slip. Right. It's not a slip. Uh, so you uh, liked Smells Like Playing more than you? Okay, because Tom. I went into this podcast thinking Tom had told me your last minutes were. I see what this is. I'm only going to watch the first 20. No, no, I fully yeah. intend to return to it. I, I usually don't leave movies undone except for one very notable movie that I need to finish before the end of the year. Um, but 
I, I intended to return to it. It just at that moment I thought, oh, it was so a pleasant surprise. So uh, and then I went back to it, and and once the two leads get together, it really worked for me. I mean, I you know, Tom's right. It's it's a really really good romantic comedy that has a little bit more depth than most of them. I liked it. All right, so then fast forward now to American Hustle. Dingus, how'd that work for you? Uh, I would say uh, the the positive things I said about uh, the way David Russell lets his actors interact and how he seems generous with that applies here. But you know, I just can't get beyond the and Kelly Wan made a joke about this about the fact that it just feels like a, a road show of a Scorsese movie. Like you know, he's got a really good cast doing it, but it still feels like hey, we're gonna pretend to do a Scorsese movie and plug in some songs. And there's one song maybe that really is meaningful, um, but uh, but overall I just felt like I was watching a pale imitation of Goodfellas. And I just... I, okay, I want you guys I to break that down for me, because I can, I can imagine that being said, but I'm not... Say, I, uh, yeah, I'm not really seeing it, other than the fact that it's... And it's not even... Well, yeah, it feels it like a music video of the period. Although there's a lot on the, there were a lot of things in the trailer that weren't in the movie, so maybe there was. No, stuff. forget trailers. I couldn't care less yeah. about that. But I do want to hear more about why you guys are, are saying it feels like a Scorsese movie because I didn't, I didn't get that sense at all. Well, how did you, how did you feel movies. about it though? I, mean, oh, I liked it. I mean, I, I did. I, it, it's just a, in the same way that I would say Silver Linings Playbook is just a romantic comedy, albeit a very good one. I thought this was just a uh, con movie, albeit a yeah. very good one, and I don't think that it has that kind of. Dazzling kineticism that, that I think a lot of the best Scorsese stuff has, well, I t- and I, I also don't think that's why I say. Had, go ahead. Well, I also don't think that it has the the gravity and the bite that something like uh, Goodfellas yeah. does, and I don't think it intends to. In the same way that Silver Linings Playbook, which is putatively about mental illness and, and a character in a very dark place, plays it very lightly. Uh, you know, when we have murderers here and we have congressmen and, you know, the, the machinery of mistrusted government in the 70s uh, and even just this cloying kitsch, it, it never gets dark, you know, in a way like Boogie Nights, for instance, turns dark. Um, and, and I feel that's a trademark of, of, of Scorsese's stuff. And this movie doesn't do that. Um, so it's missing that sort of kineticism. It's missing the, the bite and the darkness that a Scorsese movie has. Um and one of the things that I feel makes it special, and I, I guess this is something that Scorsese does well, so here I can see the, the comparison, um, is as, as a period piece. Um, just the detail in this, I, I loved all the detail in it uh, and how, how 70s it felt. Um, so in that regard, I could sort of see comparing it to a lavish Scorsese movie. But in more important ways, it didn't feel to me like a Goodfellas. Mm, they felt less real as characters to me than Scorsese characters do. Okay. But the look of the movie was, it did seem authentic, yes. And the music was reminding me. I guess, the, yeah, the, I mean, I, I don't, I just feel it's a little unfair to, to give Scorsese credit for this idea of using period music so well and in these, eh, maybe that is a Scorsese. It's a, and it's Hoods and it's the 70s. I mean, it was... He made like three movies in a row. But it's not, well, it's it's hoods and feds. It's every every critic on politicians. Like I don't think Jeremy Renner's character, by the way, is a hood. Jeremy Renner's no, character no. is an idealistic, uh, good person who. I, 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 you don't see people like that in a Scorsese movie, do you? Uh, yeah, but he's one. Well, no, he's cartoonish. Like that's what wasn't there? Like the Jerry Lewis character in uh, King of Comedy. I guess he was kind of one note. I don't know. It felt. 
very I, archetypal. I mean, I, I hear, I, the thing is that I kind of am resisting is I hear you guys comparing it to Goodfellas in a dismissive way. Uh, and I, I just didn't, I didn't get that sense from or it. Or Boogie Nights, it reminded me of that too. But in Boogie Nights, I gave a shit about the characters, and this I was having trouble latching on to okay. Okay. all of them. Uh, it certainly did remind. I, I well, again, except for being, you know, it never went that dark because Boogie Nights gets pretty dark, and uh, yeah. that, that never happened here, which was another thing where I, I kind of felt like it was. I didn't see the fighter, but I felt like, well, this is very much like Silver Linings Playbook. It's David O. Russell doing a, something with mainstream appeal and refusing to make it dark or, or depressing or to give it any meaningful bite. Um, and but I also think, applaud that. But did he mean that? Well, I. I do think so. I mean, it, it's kind of a feint when Robert De Niro shows up and there's this implication uh, that somebody might get shot in the head. And I think he intend. It, I, I kind of think that's the point of the movie in a way, is that Christian Bale's character, as pathetic as he is, is also the voice of reason, who's the one wise enough to see where this can go. And he's the one who engineers a, a different route. Like he averts them to something smaller, more contained. I think there's even a line about, you know, it's what we do to survive. This idea that they have to keep things small, not get grand, not get carried away. Um, you know, it's, it's basically, maybe if you were to compare it to Goodfellas, Bradley Cooper's character would be Ray Liotta, but he would have, instead of Joe Pesci at his side, he would have someone, a, a schlub, who has the wisdom to keep him from getting out of hand and, and, and steering everything in a different direction. Um, well, and there's also in Scorsese movies, if you push a guy too far, they always blow up. And in this movie, yeah. Christian Bale's character never does, and that's sort of what distinguishes him from Bradley. Well, Cooper. that's also in, well, in a in a heist movie. In your average heist movie, the heist goes wrong because you don't leave the psycho at home. You know, because right. a psycho comes along and breaks. It, and there's no psycho here. You know what? What's yeah, going is. to break this down? And, and it works. What's going to break this down are are petty jealousies. Um, and, and not just somebody being crazy and dark and evil. There's no Wayne Grow murdering people, like in Heat, for instance. Um, no, but dumbasses. Right, well, yeah, exactly. Pettiness, stupidity, <laughs> right. Uh, chatty wives, that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and Jennifer Lawrence was way too much of the scam. I mean, you just really got to pick. It's one thing, you see, you have too many femme fatales in your life. One should be the limit. <laughs> it's, it's the wand rule. <laughs> And even then, you don't mix them with. Never mind. I'm going back to the '70s in my head. <laughs> um, but Amy Adams. I mean, did you like Amy Adams' character? Did you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I loved the cast too, and I, I loved how. So I'd recently seen uh, Out of the Furnace. A fellow named Scott Cooper did it. It's his second movie. His first movie was Crazy Heart, where Jeff Bridges sings country. Whatever. Uh, Out of the S- Furnace. Great. It's Oscar winner, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, definitely an Oscar winner. Uh, it's Oscar bait. It's a mean. No one wins Oscars for the movies they should. Well, it's it's you know it's a country star learning life lessons, and I'm sure the Academy yeah. loves that sort of thing. So out of the furnace, it's uh it's trying to be a little darker. It's more of a traditional like crime thriller thing. But there are some great cast members in there. But Christian Bale, he's very watchable and he's fine in it, but he's just kind of coasting through it. Um, and I just watched it and was like, oh, yeah, this is the guy. You know, he's made his money from Batman. What does he care? So it was really refreshing to – I thought Christian Bale was fantastic in this mm-hmm. um, just for, uh, you know, how unglamorous he was. Yeah. And, it's not and, a vanity piece. Yeah, definitely. That's the thing is, yeah, like out, out of the furnace kind of felt like I'm going to be really cool and laconic and the tough guy who gets revenge. This definitely, Kelly, one, not a vanity piece. I don't think for any of them. 
Uh, it's a vanity piece, just in the opposite direction. <laughs> when a really good actor gets himself fat and ugly, that's a different kind of vanity piece. I mean, I think he's great in it, but it's still vanity. I mean, come on. Well, I, d- I don't think you understand what vanity pieces are. Like a vanity piece is. I is do understand, but yeah, that's what he's doing. He's, he's showing that he can get fat and ugly when he's obviously but not the character. That. Yeah, oh. I don't. I don't th- yeah, I, I think of a vanity piece as something that sort of glamorizes an actor's image, like uh, you know. Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, and he's done this sort of thing before. Like, would you like uh, Brad Pitt in Twelve Years a Slave? <laughs> <laughs> That's a vanity piece. Anyway, I'm I'm happy to address why I think this uh, this uh, your original question about Scorsese because I think uh, one of the things I really like that you just said, Tom, and I didn't think about that is uh, is Christian Bale saying that we we understand that we need to keep it. Uh, what does he say? We need to keep it just small enough or big enough. I don't know what that line is. Um, and maybe that's what David O. Russell is doing. Maybe they, maybe he's stating that I'm, I'm doing as, I'm doing as big of a uh, Scorsese movie as I can do. And this is the size of it. I'm doing he's hustling us. Um, so, so I like that you, I like that you bring, bring that up because maybe I am being too dismissive, but I think it's very clearly him trying to do a good but just doing it the size that he thinks he can do it. But it I mean, the, the- it's the, it's, I mean, the only thing to me that it has in common with Goodfellas is the the timing, the, you know, the time period of the first half of Goodfellas. Um, but but Goodfellas, to me, such a crucial part of it is the darkness there, and there's none of that here, which I think is an important thing. If you're going to compare something to Goodfellas, no, I'm I'm content. I'm not comparing it to uh, to what the the actual story or tone of it is. I'm comparing it to the way Scorsese makes movies, the way he edits, the way he pushes in the camera, the way he puts in the music, the way he dresses his actors, and the way he overlaps the way they're working. I mean, I think if you watch Goodfellas, and and I know we all have, I, I'm when I'm watching American Hustle, all I'm thinking of is, boy, I would rather be watching Goodfellas. It has the same sort of, we have multiple people doing voiceovers and telling the same story. We have music used in almost exactly the same way. We we have the same sort of camera push-ins and similar edits. I mean, it feels like... Voiceovers. It feels like he's watched Goodfellas and goes, I want to make that, but I know I'm not capable of making exactly that. So I'm not talking about necessarily what you're talking about tonally so i i agree with you it it doesn't ever go that dark but he's trying to make an american epic as best he can and maybe he understands the size of the epic he can make i just didn't think of it in terms of what christian bale says and so i'm glad that you brought up that quote but i think he's very clearly been influenced by what scorsese does it's a period piece crime film that scorsese's turf and, and just b- before anybody like emails us, we all know that Boogie Nights was not Scorsese. That we keep saying Boogie Nights and Scorsese in the same voice. Well, do you have a similar? Oh, no. Well, in that case, let me ask: Would you would you raise a similar objection to Boogie Nights? No, because it's not about Why? crime. Well, because it's, it about... it's about it's, it's absolutely about crime. I mean, they do terror. Well, I mean, they end up robbing mm. a drug dealer and shooting him. That's that's criminal. Yeah, action. but Scorsese doesn't have wages of sin. I guess he kind of does. I mean, the thing is, I, I don't. I understand what you're saying, but I, I don't understand why you would object to that. Goodfellas is a great I... movie. Boogie Nights is a great movie. It, it reminds me a bit, Dingus, of of when we talked about the artist. You sort of felt like, hey, the artist is fine, but you don't need it because you have Singing in the Rain. Um, it's just that I thought that Singing in the Rain did it better, and then everybody's praising the artist for doing something that Singing in the Rain already said. I mean, it's fine. You wanted to do a silent film a couple years ago. I, it just didn't work for me because 
I'm a huge fan of Singing in the Rain, and I thought it already said all of those things, and this is just somebody coming along and saying it again. Um, it, it's not that I don't... <laughs> I do think Boogie Nights is a great movie. I think uh, Goodfellas is an incredibly great movie. I don't think this is a great movie. It's fine. I liked it. It was entertaining. I liked the things that the actors were doing, especially... Um, the way the actors were interacting. I liked a lot of the writing, but, uh, but when I'm watching Boogie Nights, I'm not sitting there thinking I'd rather be watching Goodfellas. And when I'm watching American Hustle, that's what I'm thinking. I, I don't think it doesn't deserve to be made. I just think that that's obviously what he's doing. And it's just a pale imitation of it. The first time I saw Goodfellas and Boogie Nights, I was really excited both times. And in this, when I was watching this, I didn't feel that like charge of like, ah, oh, this this is something I've never seen before. Like you it's know, something I, I had seen from Russell, but I watched it a, a second time, or most of it a second time through this afternoon, and I got a lot more out of it. Which one? We have a screener copy, Kelly Wand. Haha. Yeah, it's we cheating. have a, we have a screener crop, a screener copy that we were sent of uh, American Hustle, and so I watched I, I watched it through like kind of one and a half times, and then I watched some of it through again with Tom this afternoon, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, because I enjoy, I think that a lot of the interplay with the actors is really enjoyable. Um, but I cannot, do you not get, Tom, do you not get any of that feeling of, of the, this is a guy who's obviously watched Goodfellas and he's trying to make that? The New York part? I get that there are similarities to Goodfellas, but I get that this is David O. Russell doing a, a con movie and, uh, you know, Goodfellas is a great crime thriller. It's it's probably the quintessential one. But I don't feel that just because something has has similarities and isn't as good as Goodfellas, that I don't really feel like that's that impacts my enjoyment at all. Um, no. Well, and and I I feel like I there were enough touches here. I uh, that Kelly one you mentioned you thought the writing was weak. I want to get into that in a moment. But uh, there were the, with, with the production design and with David O. Russell really working well with these specific actors, and I think really appreciating what he has got with them. Um, this I totally enjoyed this. Um, so and and it and I didn't sit there and think you, you know I, I didn't have the reservations that you had about it, Dingus. All right. Kelly, well, you mentioned some of the writing was weak. What were some, some of your issues with the writing? I was going to say real quick about huh? things that, like, I don't mind when things are, are like something else, like someone else has said it better. Like, I just, I try to judge each movie on its own merits. But in this one, I did, it did feel well, derivative, like not that's shot the thing, right, shot. right. If you do, if it does feel like derivative and yet something else has done it better and that, it's not living up to what it's trying to imitate, but I just didn't get that sense of it trying to imitate Goodfellas. No, not specifically, but I also just put it this way. It's more like how it made me feel, and I didn't feel quite – like I don't really ever want to see it again except for reels of Amy Adams and Jennifer Lawrence. I mean, I don't know. I just know the arcs – I can't think of – an. I don't think it had – it's not so much the – this I guess ties into the writing, like – in Goodfellas, there's entire stream, just dialogue chunks, like Joe Pesci going off on his mm-hmm. thing about clowns that mm-hmm. I never get tired of watching. But American Hustle didn't have – I mean, Christian Bale isn't playing that kind of character where every line he said was something you looked forward to because mm-hmm. he was uh, – but none of the characters did. Like, I don't really want to see Jennifer Lawrence blow up a microwave again. There's no – there was no – I thought Jennifer Lawrence – It's a science oven. 
Actually, she Jennifer Lawrence it. stole the movie. Yeah, and there's no she's scene with Jennifer Lawrence that I would not want to see again. In this. Uh, it's probably true, but I'd say that anyway, so I can't be trusted. So you may have to guide. I mean, me come on, that bathroom scene with Amy Adams and that bit about kisses, and I went excellent, and then it was like surrounded by crickets. Oh, there's <sighs> plenty of stuff I'd like to watch in this again. But uh, her lip syncing while she's cleaning to live and let die. Yeah, uh, the stuff where uh, where she, when. Uh, that awesome scene where Bradley Cooper and Amy Adams arrive at the party and the light blows out and they walk up through the fog. Goodbye Yellow Brick Road is playing. And Jennifer Lawrence, she closes that scene out with that venomous line about, I know who you are. Um, and I, would, I would totally watch all of that again. Um, yeah, and, and Jennifer Lawrence was just golden here. I mean, I, I really get this sense that you know, I didn't see the other Hunger, the second Hunger Games movie. I have no desire to. I thought that the first Hunger Games movie had no idea what an asset it had with Jennifer Lawrence. Had no idea what to do with. Well, Director was a tool. I feel like David O. Russell <laughs> so gets what an asset she is, and and knows that there's a moment see? where that you know the the microwave blows up. And she says something to Christian Bale about uh, reading in an article that it takes the nutrition out of the food. And she gets yeah. the article and she hands it to Christian Bale. And, and I've talked about this before where directors cut away from scenes too soon. David O. Russell lets that scene play out while Christian Bale is reading the article and Jennifer Lawrence is tapping her fingernails on the kitchen counter. He lets us sit there for a minute. And I feel like he so is in love with what she can do as an actress. And he captures such great stuff with her. I would totally sit through every single moment with her in this movie again. Oh. Yeah, but I'd take any Jennifer Lawrence moments. You're going to watch Hunger Games a second time, Kelly. Wong. No, I meant... See? Mm. Okay. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> you tricked me. We fucking we fight. You know what? She has a lot of great lines. She's not in the movie much, though. Now that you're mentioning it, I well, do wish there'd been more of her. And that's why I kind of say that she steals it, is everything yeah. with her has... I mean, I... I Part of the problem is that Amy Adams' characters and Christian Bale's character are, are kind of burned out and exhausted and, and afraid, and they're not as dynamic and energetic and you could call it scenery-chewing if you wanted uh, as, as Jennifer Lawrence's character. Um, but she also gets all the good lines. So. Right, right. Um, but I still feel there's plenty of good stuff with them. I really liked watching Christian Bale act. You know, Amy Adams is just I, – she's so good, and I, I loved how she embodied – Another thing, a reason that I would watch this again is its presentation of the 70s. When when Dingus and I saw the trailer, we joked about – I mean, we didn't even watch the whole trailer. You see flashes. You see the the one sheets with the actors on it. When the trailer opens, you can tell they obviously have these non-vanity movie hairstyles, and, and that looked goofy to me. And so I kind of was thinking it would be like an Anchorman deal where all these jokes about them having backwards hair, like that would be a, a prominent feature and it even opens with christian bale arranging his comb over um but I, I feel like the presentation of the 70s goes so much farther than that glib joke about hair it goes into their clothes into the wallpaper certainly into the music and it even goes to the point and and this i, I can't help but noticing this because it's so in your face the entire time of the way women's breasts are presented you know bodies christian bale's belly even but i just i just love that it had this awareness of how women's breasts looked and were presented completely differently back then. Um, I'll take that on faith. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And just the way it was shot, too, just the cinematography had this amazing, it had, and I don't know how to describe this, but it had this sheen that I associate with finding pornography laying around when I was a kid in the 70s. Uh, You know, it looked like a Hustler magazine. Uh Uh-huh. 
Uh, and I just I, I loved that. About yeah, it was lit. Hustler always had the weirdest lighting. And it's so different from other lighting. Like, you know, so there's this 80s lighting from the Terminator yeah. movies or Cinemax stuff. And it, it was such it, – it, it looked so completely different from, from other movies. And, and I loved that part of it. I would totally watch that again. Um, and, and so I also yeah. – here's another thing. Uh, I was complaining to Dingus that Louis C.K. has never been effectively used in a movie. He's, he showed up in Blue Jasmine. It was cute, but what was he doing there? Yeah. It seemed like it belonged. He was in – Kelly Wan, if you ever finished watching that movie London with Chris Evans and Jessica Biel. He's in that shit? He's in that, and I don't even think he has a line, um, but he's huh. in it. So I, I was complaining that he's never been used well in a movie. I loved what he did. Yeah, actually, you're right. I did like that writing too. And yeah, back. and I loved that take on the guys. Well, the scene when Bradley Cooper shushes him—that <laughs> was fantastic. I mean, that was that was just that was like candy to me. Those two little moments where he shushes his lieutenant or whoever his boss is, and he impersonates him. Yeah. Oh my god. Yes. That was pretty funny. That was great. Um, so yeah, I would totally watch this again. And uh, yeah. Well, I said it's worth seeing. You can oh, see it once, enough, right, you can right. see it twice. I mean, I just thought, okay, I saw the fighter too. I would say see that and then compare your Christian Bales. Yeah, this kind of this is the first thing. I mean, even Silver Linings. Oh, and Eddie Adams too. Eddie Adams is so good in that movie. Well, Silver Linings playbook. I didn't know if it was an anomaly, and I appreciated what they had there, but it didn't make me think oh, I should see the fighter. This made me think maybe I should see the fighter. Yeah, Amy Adams is great. She plays such a great character in it. I love chicks who can fight. She fight? She's the fighter? Just see it. Get your Oscar screeners out. Well, my problem with it is that I don't know that Mark Wahlberg can hold down. He doesn't. That's the thing. And Bale, so you've, we've had this thing before. You go, put someone with a good actor, and it's always good. It's like, no, it didn't help Mark Wahlberg in that movie. It's full on. Because Christian Bale's playing the wacky brother. Right, right. Uh, and then you're like, wait, why doesn't he get Amy Adams? Uh, what did you think of their New York accents, Tom? Um, I didn't, not enough to really notice them. Did they bother you or I didn't, uh, I thought they were ridiculous. Okay. I mean, that's, a, that's another thing. I mean, I love the cast. I love a lot of what's going on in this, but again, I can't get, get past this sort of idea of actors doing a Scorsese road show when you hear a lot of this sort of like the New York accents that they're playing around with. I love the bit with Amy Adams' accent and that being like a part of her identity and dropping it. I love the scene with Bradley Cooper when she first doesn't use the accent and he still wants to fuck. Like, I just loved that scene. Not as much, though. Not as much what? Well, it made a bigger difference to him than you'd think. He... Uh, he's a weird character, though. He's a Back weird character, and, and what, what comes out over the course of the movie is that he's just a spoiled child who will yeah. throw tantrums. And I again, that as a character choice, that to me, that's... I thought that was really good writing because um, it's but not Bradley Cooper, obvious. It's you can go. It's not a vanity piece, but if you're Bradley Cooper, you're like the after picture of Christian. Bale. Well, I, I mean, the thing is, these guys, guys like Christian Bale and Bradley Cooper don't need vanity pieces right. anymore. So you could say that, but so sort of more it's to this point, this idea of being more self-deprecating is, I guess, a for, Oscar bait. Yeah, but it could be a form of vanity, but. You know, Bradley Cooper in Limitless, for instance, you know, he's gorgeous in that. And in, in the A-Team movie, he's freaking gorgeous in that. And I just love seeing him not trying to be gorgeous, even though he's still, you know, all of them, actually. Yes, well, pretty mouth. <laughs> Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> I was doing you, actually. See? That's good. That's, I thought I was listening to myself. Very good. Um, <laughs> but see, even with that hair, he's still kind of Bradley Cooper, even... 
He's got the limitless eyes from Dune. Well, he, but he's doing other things. He's got doing this weird thing with his mouth that's great. He's he's one of the things I like about Bradley Cooper is that in this, he seems like he's the um, he's the featherweight in the cast, and and I like that he lets himself look like that because he is supposed to be that character, and he doesn't mind being shown up. And I like that he has that sort of security as an actor that he's allowed himself to do that. Because a lot of times when people become huge stars, they don't allow themselves to do that. Well, it's and like in a, I have a in, huge amount of respect for him. And it's like in Place Beyond the Pines where he just shows up. You know, he's right. not right. It's not yeah. entirely about him. He's kind of a supporting character in that. Yeah. Right. I really like that. I don't, I'm not quite sure what to do with De Niro, though. Well, so here's the thing. I mean, De Niro shows up and basically, and I kind of appreciated, you know, I I feel like it's a red herring, as as I mentioned before, and part of making it a red herring is the fact that it is De Niro. And you think, oh, well, you know, now it's going to take a certain turn. And the fact that he shows up and then just goes away, I I liked that they did that. And I liked, too, that when he shows up, the the movie loses its color, and he has that line about I'm a ghost, uh, and you think, oh, this is going to, this is a turning point. But and the thing is, it is, but Christian Bale sees it, and he saves them from it. Um, no, but that scene is so horrible. That scene at that table in the back of the rest, it, it's nah, so I love horrible. That. But why, is, why was it horrible? I liked Be- it quite a bit. Because at the, at the moment of the biggest tension, some drunk guy randomly shows up and slams the table and saves them. And then... It's on Walking Dead a lot, too. It's, it's a horrible scene. I, thought, I hated that Wasn't scene. that one of the bodyguards that Bradley Cooper insisted they bring? One of his men? I don't know who it was, but it's some random guy who suddenly... No, it's, it's someone who sees that they're in trouble and comes over to create a diversion. He did? I thought that that, that was the that the point of that was that Bradley Cooper, because he had insisted that he brings along a couple more of his guys as bodyguards for the Sheik, and, and Christian Bale's like, no, we're not bringing any more of your guys. I'm not Drunk people always oh. fall to my table I, in RL. I, I totally right. missed that. But I, and I mean, the, and know, then that the Sheik that. is able to... That the Sheik, quote unquote, Sheik is able to actually carry through with that much dialogue when he says, "I know a couple of lines." And, I mean, and all of that is just such a bait and switch. It's it's horrible. I hate that scene so much because suddenly Robert De Niro can talk all this. Oh, he can talk in this language, and the, then the other guy can too. And and we're just holding on. Acted like he and couldn't with his we're face. Pre- we're pretending like we can't. And then this drunk guy's going to slam the table at just the right moment. And then the other guy, I hated that. Makes the other guy remember. And I and I also, I, you know, I I understand what you're saying about the lack of color and the ghost thing, but but that there's a there's an exit here, and I'm a ghost. It's just such obvious dialogue. I, I, I hated that scene so much. Ugh. Is he playing? Is De Niro the same character he was in Casino? Because that wasn't that like the Jewish Florida casino guy. I don't, so I don't I don't know that you I can. Um, so I love the title card. Some of this stuff actually happened because <laughs> I, yeah, I was really read good. it in that voice. But uh, there, there's so much of it. I mean, Abscam was not. I, I don't think Abscam unfurled this way. No, um, no, no. If there, he's and, totally playing. I, it. That's fine. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. And that, that's, that's fine. why I don't I don't mind you know making up that you know Michael Pena's two lines of Arabic were appropriate to whatever this Meyer Lansky associate knew from <laughs> casinos in Abu Dhabi. I mean, whatever. Uh, it, you know, this is a dramatization. It's not supposed to necessarily be plausible that, that, the, movie, that the movie is about the, the characters and not so much the situation. Uh, the, the whole idea, too, that the, the FBI – I guess Abscam did have this, as, this aspect of being a ridiculous 
and it was rightly ridiculed when it came out. But Abscam really was the, the FBI hiring some shyster to help them trap congressmen. So th- that's implausible, and it was rightly ridiculed, and that's kind of the premise here is that what if the FBI did hire two random people? And that, to me, right off the bat is, is ridiculous, and there's a certain absurdity to it. Um, so I think they're just using that as a you're using Abscam as a jumping off point um, to right, create well, this this ridiculous premise. Like, what if the FBI got these two total loser scammers to help them arrest people? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not talking about plausibility when I'm talking about Michael Pena. I'm just talking about that all of that is in service of a gag, and I think it's poorly executed. I mean, I I, I, I agree with you. I, I'm not talking about plausibility. I mean, I loved it when they met him on the plane and they're talking about the knife and all that stuff that leads up to that scene. I love that stuff. So, no, I'm not talking about plausibility. I'm just talking about... about the drunken stumble? I just think the gag gag of that scene doesn't work for me. I don't think it's a gag. It's supposed to be false tension. It's what you said. Again, it's it's a red herring. Yeah, it's it's the moment where the movie could go in a certain direction, and if it was a Scorsese movie, it would. But is it Um, plausible that the De Niro character wouldn't be suspicious by... Who cares? I mean, that, that's I, not, I don't care about that either. Really I just think it's a poorly executed scene, and you like the scene. I just didn't. Um, yeah, but I think the point of that scene is that this is where Christian Bale sees that, you know, he's the only one smart enough in the room, smart enough to know. This is where his character finally saves everyone. You know, at this point, he's been swept up in all of this. He doesn't, and and this is where he changes the outcome. I, I think. Um, uh, well, I have a question for you, sir. Defender of the writer. Yeah. Okay, I like in <laughs> movies when people get hit with ashtrays in the face, so I like that part of it. Right. But when Amy Adams confessed her real accent to Bradley Cooper, mm-hmm. I didn't see why that was such a big deal. Like because of this, I thought that was set up. And here's again, here's another scene which I really like. When they're and talking about being real, I mean. There yeah, were, but is she gaming him? Or? Uh, there were a few scenes that. And this is one of them that, that really stood out for me and made this a little bit more than just a light con movie. And it, it's from that scene in the stall that obviously meant a lot to him. Um, I liked how he shot it with this really ugly blue light and it closed with Amy Adams on the toilet screaming. I mean, it was just this weird, Jeez. uncomfortable, gross scene. And it obviously meant a lot to him. It meant a lot. To, I mean, it was a crucial moment, I think, for both of them in, in, in different ways. You um, didn't think she'd fake an accent? He didn't know her name. Like he didn't. Again, that's implausible yeah. too. The FBI is yeah. going to hire some woman and not know who she was. That's also that was a little confusing to me. She's done her birth certificate since birth, or she's forged all her paperwork since birth. But she was a stripper when she did that, or she did it later with Christian Bale's. Like she outwitted the feds doing that before the investigation. Apparently, yes. Cool. All right, back to what you're saying. I, I think that's the, the dialogue. Go ahead, the Dan. dialogue outside the uh, stall, Bobby. The women who hear them talking? Yeah, and, the, and they're, they're, con- they're just they commenting it? on everything they're talking about. No, because in a stall, stalls aren't soundproof, Dingus. <laughs> Thank you very much. I didn't realize that. <laughs> I'm going to be much more discreet in the future. <laughs> uh, I did like, you know, the, um, this is kind of a red herring. When the science often shows up, I immediately thought of uh, other moments in movies where they they point to some technological development as, as a sign of the changing times and the characters being left behind. In Boogie Nights, there's when VHS arrives. Uh, in Ice Storm, there's a great moment where one of the characters 
goes out of town and then comes back and explains to his son that he was helping people research something new called semiconductors and his sons couldn't care less. Uh, there's a scene in the man who was in the man who wasn't there where uh, John Polito is trying to sell him on dry cleaning. Um, so I loved when the science oven showed up and I thought that was going to feed into some bigger theme, which never really came through. What, what I liked about that was how, and this is, I, I just liked Christian Bale's emotional connection to it. You know, she's like, just buy a new one. He's like, I want that one. Right, right. <laughs> it's just so sweet. The, how, how, how much he felt about that. And then how she turned it on him as to blame him. And said, well, it's a good thing I'm here. You know, lucky for, lucky for us. I, I've read these articles and I destroyed this thing. I just loved I loved the way she turned that on its ear and and the way he is so pathetic there because he just wants his gift from his friend. That's another great Jennifer Lawrence scene. The movie every, every Jennifer Lawrence scene in the movie is a great scene. Oh, I loved her. I loved it when she in that good lord in that white bodysuit. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my fucking god. Oh my fucking god. How many chicks do you think she can kiss at once? One, two, three, why don't you and me? Got one eighty degrees and I'm caught in between counting. Such a softball. Ah, see? Dirty. Kelly One, this is the moment that everyone is waiting for for you to tell us what this week's three by three is. You know Can't wait to hear this. Just curious to hear how it's morphed over the course of the week. Let's Kelly Wan, what is this one's 3x3? I have a good topic for the next time, three weeks from now. So this one's kind of done. Or it's the best one. You know what? It got more reader responses than last week's, which therefore means it's a good topic. Right? How many Big Macs did you sell this week, Kelly? It's uh, three best corporate logos that are on a T-shirt or not on a T-shirt that are... So they summarize a company's vision, and they have to be in a language, or they can be art-esque, or perhaps symbolic of the company's slogan. Dingus, how much of this is new to you? Uh, all of it, because now the Mona Lisa applies. I think the Mona Lisa is now a cover logo. <laughs> when the Smithsonian gets too old, we can store that in the Louvre. <laughs> That's the, the tagline of, of National Treasure 3. Ah, oh, there's a third one? Here's now. Hmm. Uh, Kelly Wand, I saw this week uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, and my number three favorite corporate logo in a movie is uh, Papa John's in Secret Life of Walter Mitty. What do you think of that? Are you going to elaborate on that? Yeah, so in uh, in Secret Life of Walter Mitty, uh, Ben Stiller, who plays Walter Mitty, uh, recalls how as a child... Um, Wait, Jim Carrey, I thought was... No. You might have seen a different one. I think I'm me? thinking of Pleasantville. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, maybe you're thinking of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, because that's where there's. I think there's a lot of crossover. I think I'm thinking of the it. number 23. Okay. Uh, no, I think you're thinking of that uh, Man of Over the Moon. I think I'm thinking of Truman Show, where uh, you're thinking of Ace Ventura, Pet Detective Two, Nature Calls. No, I think I'm thinking of Cable Guy. <laughs> oh. There you go. Kelly Wan wins. There's no cable. There were no cables in medieval times. Kelly Wan, would you rather there somebody, are no cables in <laughs> Would you rather someone see Cable Guy or Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? Sure, they're both good. No, no. Which one though? 
the first half of Eternal. Right, you're going to split them up. Wait, wait, the other way around. The first half of Cable Guy and the second half. I think Cable Guy could. I mean, I would definitely. I, most people would go with Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind, but Cable Guy definitely has. Uh, it, it would be in the running. I, I think you and I both know that. It's got young Leslie Mann in it. That's why you like. <gasps> no way. Are yeah. you serious? She's Matthew Roderick's girlfriend. Okay, so we saw a trailer. You know, I won't watch most trailers. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Oh, my God. I can't wait to see this movie. So it's Leslie Mann and Cameron Diaz as the wife and mistress of Nicholas Costa-Valsnow, or whatever his name is, the Jamie Lannister. (laughs) Um, And they conspire with a really busty chick in a bikini. Kate Upton. I didn't know it was Kate Upton until I looked it up afterwards, because I know who she is. (laughs) Um, You know who Kate Upton is? I'm pretty impressed. Well, not by looking at her. I mean, looking at you know her from her voice work. <laughs> right, fine. <laughs> well, I do too. Fine musical numbers. Yes. Uh, she, yeah. her, her Sports Illustrated voice work. <laughs> Would you call her a busty blonde? Isn't that what she is? Isn't yeah. That, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, um, so I, I, re- I, whatever this is, just for Leslie Mann and Cameron Diaz. I mean, I don't care. It, I don't like the young one. <laughs> well, no, and for her too. I prefer my cougars, well framed. <laughs> But I had no idea Leslie Mann was in Cable Guy in a big part. Uh, uh, Is she in the charade scene? Yeah. Awesome. Oh, I can't wait to see it again. Good. All right. All right. All right. So that's my number three is Leslie Mann was in Cable Guy. If you know Tammy and the T-Rex, I think you'd be watching (laughs) Cable Guy. Wait, what did you say? You didn't explain the Papa John's thing. Oh, I thought I was going to get off the hook for that. So, uh... Ben Stiller recalls how, as a child, after his father died, he had to to go take on a job to help support the family. And his mother says at one point, you know, and you took on a job at Papa John's, and that must have been tough for you. And he says, well, uh, no, why? And she says, well, because the name of it, Papa John's, and your father just died. It makes you think about your father. What? No, that never occurred to me. (laughs) And then later in the movie, at a crucial moment, he encounters a Papa John's. So it's like Mistopheles and Dark Shadows. Not at all. Wait, that's not good product placement. My dead father. This isn't pizza. product placement. It's a corporate oh. wand. What's the logo look like? It's got a, a, a toilet and a <laughs> dad on it. What? <laughs> Papa John's, I don't know if you know this, Kelly Wand. It's a pizza place. A dad. Yeah, I know. It's but, the worst pizza ever. It sucks. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't want to uh, malign them like that. They might I want don't to like it. It's going to be a future sponsor. Hello. Yeah. Are you, are you guys higher than me? <laughs> we don't have sponsors, do we? Digus, what is your number three favorite corporate logo that may or may not appear in a T-shirt and might or might not include language and represents the corporation's values? Good Lord, that's a lot of stuff. Pretty sure I got it all right. There might be a few points. Wait, what would you say? Logos? Wasn't listening. So with that, yeah. He, he, he's going to explain – excuse me for a moment, Dingus. I'll, let me illuminate Tom. <laughs> Dingus is going to explain his theme uh-huh. of doing the list because he always has the best theme because three-by-threes is where Dingus really shines. Ah, uh, yes. Right. So here we go. Even if the topic's terrible, Dingus never disappoints. He pretty much saves my right. garbage. Right. Uh, I'm not, not going to do any of that, Kelly. I apologize. See, he's trolling us now because he has a really good list. Right. All exactly. uh, here's, here's a quote from my, my number three. Uh-huh. Oh, good. I'm funny. Well, can't be me. Um, was Maud a movie? 
I know I ask that every week. Um, so uh, the quote I just gave you is from the other movie that I saw with Tom that very same day uh, that we saw Walter Mitty. We went to see the movie Her. And so uh, my favorite, my third favorite corporate logo is the uh, the moving logo for the operating system. Ah, right. It's this beautiful sure. infinity, sort of infinity loop thing that's going on on the screen as the operating system is loading. I believe it's um, a Mobius strip, technically. Uh, it might be a Mobius strip. I don't know that it folds over in the way that a Mobius strip does. Um, but I had two from this movie that I really liked, but I went ahead and picked that one. Uh, the other corporate logo I liked from this movie, uh, you're, you're not picking anything from her, are you, Tom? Mm, maybe. See? Right. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, all right, what was so the, I would be hard-pressed to think, what's the other corporate logo in that? The other corporate logo is the logo of uh, beautifully handwritten letters. Oh, um, oh right, right. There's this... Dot com, I think. It's dot com. Sorry, dot com. Uh, as he, at first, I was like, is it, is it just that those, ha- those like dudes, like that... that uh, that guy who's on Chris Pratt's desk, like reading something. But as he leaves the office, you see this like hand uh, on the over the logo. But the but the her logo of the operating system would be my number three. Kelly, one, do you not want to see her? Or why did you make some disparaging remark earlier? When I just think it's like the first scene of Matrix, but a whole movie and with a romantic. I don't want to see a guy fucking his computer. Um, yeah, I think you could go anyway. I don't think it's that. Thing is, you you think Kelly Wan should see it, don't you? The trailer didn't I, look. You're crazy if you don't. Uh, well, I, I don't want to go. I don't want to tip my hand. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's well, definitely maybe a I thing. Am. I mean, do you know who wrote and directed it, Kelly Wand? Spike. Well, there you go. Not Lee. The other one. Yeah, what's wrong? Yeah, with where the wild things are. But <laughs> he needs his Kaufman and he needs wins. his. Um, I think her demonstrates that he doesn't necessarily he need doesn't. his Kaufman. So I, I would argue. Him. I would argue. I would agree. Even though I like where the wild things are more than you, because I actually saw it, whereas you didn't, because you didn't see the whole movie. Um, well, someone made me leave. I think so that that I have no free will. I think that's a valid observation. Is that Spike Jones without Kaufman? Uh, you know it's where like, the wild things are. Without Yarnell. Uh, where the Wild Things Are is not as good as the stuff he's done with Kaufman. But I think her, he finds his own voice. Uh, it has a beautiful production design. Uh, the stuff oh, they production do for design. this... Production design, good lord. Yeah, the stuff they do, I mean, I think it's every bit as... Um, I, I don't want this to sound too much like hyperbole, but it's every bit as evocative and and unique and relevant as what Sid Mead did with, with Blade Runner back then. Absolutely. Uh, as, as far as this presentation of the near near future Los Angeles... Yeah, well, that sounds pretty interesting. It, but but what's weird is that it doesn't. You know how when you look at Los Angeles and what year is that supposed to take place? Twenty nineteen, in Blade Runner. I don't know that we ever figured that it's out. I'm going to go with twenty forty seven. Right. What, whatever it is, <laughs> it, it feels like there's no way we're going to get to there by the time that year rolls around. But with with this, with the production design in this, it feels so other, but not like we're not going to get there. Well, in the next couple of years. I mean, it's right. brilliant. So what Dingus is, is suddenly all prescient uh, now. Because when I saw Blade Runner, I had no expectation. I was like, yeah, sure, L.A. will look like that. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's old. When I watch it now and Blade Runner is set, what, two years from now or whatever, I, I agree. But... Yes, last year. <laughs> <laughs> but, when okay, when I saw the trailer for her right. and she goes, how do I feel something? Can't you just go... Just here, I'll touch your wires. How about this? Uh, stop watching trailers. Yeah, stop watching trailers. Well, I gotta get up. Tell you what, it's not a hard science movie. It's a, it's a, um, 
get it. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't do that. It's not the way that you watch it, and it, it's a character study. It's very much a character study, and it's very much sci-fi, uh, and it's very much a, a sort of a mind bender. I mean, it's very uh, Spike Jones. Here's the thing. Approach. I just finished The Circle by Dave Eggers, who co-wrote Where the Wild Things Are. Okay. And it's and he's got a thank you in her. You'll be uh, interested. Does he? Yep. Well, okay. I love that book, yep. but it made me hate computers. Everybody so, in Hollywood like, does, I think. Who thanks Dave Eggers? No, there's a, there's a whole list of thanks. But anyway, go ahead. Legger my Eggers. <laughs> um. Anyway, as I was saying before, uh, what was I saying? So, Dingus, do you ever uh, get to watch that <laughs> episode of Black Mirror that I mentioned? Uh, I did not, sadly. Okay. Or Blackfish, uh, which Tom thinks is propaganda. Propaganda against SeaWorld. They don't torture the fish. <laughs> they don't. What? You think they that... torture the fish? Yes. <laughs> they, they don't torture watch... them. Uh, Dingus, you're Tom? <laughs> Dingus, Tom, you're like uh, the guy in 12 Years a Slave. Kelly, as the guy who loved Silver Linings Playbook, I think you have to see her. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're probably right. I know I'm right. I just, uh, all right, well, Kelly Wan, why don't you show us how to do this topic correctly by telling us your number three pick for a corporate logo that may or may not appear on a T-shirt? Um, my number three pick is from the movie... Oh, you are such a bad kid. <laughs> Tom. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you, Kelly. Go ahead. I don't believe you. <laughs> and I'm not fat. I'm just big-boned. My number three is the Bushwood Country Club from Caddyshack. Next. All right. My number two is uh, it's eHarmony. Wait. Oh, what? What's the logo? Oh, yeah, yeah. Describe the logo. It's like green. Okay. Never mind. I'm sorry. Yes. Go ahead. Um. <laughs> my number two is eHarmony. I couldn't That's tell you what the logo thing. is, but they get uh, – well, so is Papa John's. And they get some some excellent logo placement. You see Walter Mitty checking his uh, eHarmony profile. Um, and then furthermore, <laughs> what? It, what? This is like the worst movie ever. <laughs> it is. Well, it's pretty bad. I don't know about worst ever. He, I, I uh, have to tell you, Tom clapped at the end. He was like, oh, bravi, bravi. Nice. I ironically clapped. Nice. <laughs> along with the people. <laughs> I ironically clapped when Walter Mitty was over. So uh, in, in Secret Life of Walter Mitty, they portray eHarmony as if the guy who helps you when you call in for tech support will, will be your friend. He'll be supportive. He will help you with your profile, and furthermore, if you're ever stranded at the airport, that dude's going to come out and pick you up and hang out with you for the day. What? Be your buddy. That's eHarmony for you, Kelly Wand. That's what you can expect from them. At least you would think that from watching Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Yep. And Night at the Roxbury. Yes, Kelly Wand. Chitan character had he kept he would call the credit card company. It was always the same chick going, "Oh, you," and then at the end they have sex or marry. I can't remember. But yeah, that happens a lot in movies. If there's 90 phone numbers, but Think one of uh, of Adam Sandler with the the pudding representative guy who uh, couldn't no be interested. Me? Ah, Dingus hates. Damn it! Took forever. No, I'm just still. Your number three corporate logo was the Country Club from Caddyshack. Yeah, because it was called Bushwood. Get it? Bushwood uh, is your number three. Okay. Yeah. Dingus, what's your number two favorite logo in a movie? All right, so Kelly asked me for my theme earlier. It's 
They're all fictitious. I didn't know they had to be fictitious. I said last week. No, I I said, actually, I went ahead and trimmed your topic, mister. Hear that? See? Slips. Freudian slips. Anyway, here's a quote from my number two. There was a time when energy was a dirty word, when turning on your lights was a hard choice. Moon. Very good. This is Lunar Industries from Moon. And it's, uh, I had, I had three kind of crappy, uh, science fiction corporate logos. So I'll, I'll, I've reserved one for my runner up, but the other one is Moon. It's really like an L with a colon. <laughs> it's, uh, but I just love, I just love the way Lunar Industries looks, and I love the fact that Moon begins basically with a promo slash commercial for Lunar Industries, and then shows us that corporate logo. Because there were a couple other corporate logos that I couldn't find, that I didn't know if they were fan drawn or what. Um, but this one, this all the ones that I chose, you can actually see in the movie, and so the Moon Lunar Industries corporate logo is my second favorite. One of the best things about Lunar Industries in that movie is that they have on their board of directors uh, Matt Barry. I love that, yeah. part of that company. It's great. Oh, I want to invest. Oh, it should be Mooner Industries, huh? Boom. Mm, that makes no sense. See what I did? Mm-hmm. Kelly Wan, what is your number two pick for a fictional corporate logo? Because that's how you did it. My number two fictional <laughs> is the movie's logo from the movie Joe versus the Volcano, because there was that lightning bolt that symbolized his travails, and he worked there, too. So it was just a lightning bolt-looking logo. So that's what, number two. What was the corporation? I don't think it had a name. So it was it's a nameless corporation with a lightning bolt? Yeah. Lightning bolt. Lightning bolt. Sleep. Sleep, sleep. Did he work for FedEx or UPS in Castaway? It was... <laughs> FedEx. FedEx, okay. I hate that I know that. Although the car that he holds the wedding ring in front of, I think, was also... My number one pick... Wait, 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 wait. Oh, okay, wow. go on. I had more to say. Okay, go ahead. No, let's well, tell us... What is the corporation you're talking about? It's obviously the uh, Lightning Company. Dan Hedaya is his boss, and he keeps going, I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? So I think that's the name of the company, because he keeps saying it. Or the slogan. The slogan. What's your number one? Kelly Wand, in what movie does Dan Hedaya say to someone in ancient Greece they cut the heads off of the messengers that bring bad news? Apocalypto? Nope, he's not even in that. What? Angus, can you answer that question? He says I'm walking here. Uh, I don't know. Is he in Quest for Fire? He's and in then that, someone's 300, I think. Nope, he says in ancient Greeks they cut the heads off of the messengers that deliver bad news. And then this character says back to him... Well, I don't know about ancient Greece, but here in Texas, we got very definite laws about that sort of thing. <laughs> Come on, you guys. Seriously? Dingus is on the right track earlier, Dingus. Earlier. Uh, it is, is Cohen Brothers, though. It's quite simple. Yeah. Mm. It's a great M.M. Walsh line. I thought it was going to be clueless. <laughs> Stan- I was just imagining Dan Hedaya saying that. No, no, that's and I was my second voice was M. Emmett Walsh. I'll, I'll work on that. I'll make it sound better. Is he still alive? No. Are you sure? Yeah. 
thing is, can you back Kelly up on that? M. M. Walsh died. I think whenever I say anything, no one believes it. Just because I'm wrong alive. a couple of times, every once in a while. Yeah, I don't think. I think he's as alive as Harry Dean Stanton because I'm holding out hope one day for a buddy cop movie with M. M. Walsh and Harry Dean Stanton, and I, I think it can still happen. That's like two tangos and no cash. Exactly. Mm. That's like my two pin one, speeds and no brown shoe. Number what? one That's like, how many mother jugs? No Rockfords. How many mother what? jugs is that, Kelly Wand? One speed. <laughs> my Sorry. number one pick for a corporate logo is Life Magazine in the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. <laughs> what? Because you see, he works. Walter Mitty works at Life Magazine. I get it. The movie is full of Life Magazine like product placement, and the logo is splashed all over the place. And the big reveal at the end of the, the movie is a copy of Life Magazine. What do you think of that, Kelly Wand? Ugh. Does he dream? Does he fantasize that it's called Secret Life Magazine? Uh, I see. I see what you're doing. I am the third head editor. So we went and saw Secret Life of Walter Mitty, and afterwards I, I was, <laughs> you went to the movie theater to see it. Yeah. And afterwards, I was like, to, I said to Dingus, "You hated that, right? Did you hate that?" And Dingus like, "No, I was okay with it." Hmm. So Dingus was okay, okay with Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which I thought he was trolling you. No, Dingus, you weren't trolling. You were okay with that movie, right? Now he's being silent. Which yeah, no, I was okay with it. It's a gorgeous movie. I don't understand why the hell they had to make it. I don't understand what the point of the movie is. Wait, but you don't like when things are say things that in other movies they said. <laughs> and this is a remake about a guy dreaming, which has been done better in black and white, probably according <laughs> to you, Mr. Big Shot. You're missing. You're totally missing the point of what I said about America. That's Hollywood. what I do. Thank you. Oh, that's what you do. Uh, oh, wait, does that does that apply to that movie? Like, was it or was it an original vision? Uh, I've actually I don't, I'm, I'm not in the pursuit of something original. That's never what I've been in pursuit Dingus of. Dingus hates everything that hasn't been, that has been done before. If it's been done before, <sighs> Dingus Star Trek hates it. Two, and he's like, oh, "Okay, well, Moby Dick could have used some improvement." I now feel like happened. Barack Obama uh, talking to Fox News right now. <laughs> <laughs> First off, that's not cool to Fox News. <laughs> what was the question? Whose turn? So no, Dingus was okay with. Uh, so Life Magazine, E Harmony, and Papa John's get some serious product placement in Life of Walter Mitty. Just say on the DVD case, okay with it. I'm okay with it. <laughs> That's Dingus's review. That's the blurb. But, uh, and my problem with it is uh, there are a couple problems with it, but it, Ben Stiller directed it, which I, uh, I don't no, know. That's a vanity project. That's totally a vanity project. He directs it, and he's so full of himself, and he really thinks that the, the most interesting thing in the movie is him sort of looking at the floor, oftentimes literally, or just, well, probably is. just sort of muttering or, or not really reacting well or being socially awkward. Um, so it's full of that, but it's also so driven by, I think, his sketch comedy mentality. Um, and it's just got such glib little comedic bits like with Adam Scott having a goofy beard or with this joke about, oh, you know, Greenland only has nine people that live in it. Um, Or how about the joke where you think the girl's talking to you, but she's talking to the person behind you? It's all about the eye line because we don't know because we're in the audience. What bugs me, though, I think most is, man, I I love me some Kristen Wiig. And to just see her playing – and to just yeah, and she's strictly a support structure for an a, 
actor slash director who wants the movie to be about him and his feelings and his character. And she's just a prop. And it's so sad because she's so good and she's trying so hard. And there's an amazing, amazing moment where she appears and sings to him and urges him to do something really cool. And just that moment alone, if I had seen that, I would be convinced that this movie is ingenious. But that one moment, which uses a David Bowie song to fantastic effect, yeah. is is just it's just a drift in this otherwise I thought terrible movie. Wait, wait, how, how dumb not to make the movie The Secret Life of Walter Mitty about her to make her to make, to yeah. even transition at that moment into her secret life because by that by that time we we abandoned his secret life. She's married to Ben Stiller. She has the perfect life. It couldn't be improved. Kristen Wiig is married to Ben Stiller. Oh, I thought he, she was his wife in it. No, 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 no. She's his uh, his love interest. But I much would have preferred oh. to see a movie that was The Secret Life of Walter Mitty and she's Walter Mitty. Yeah. And he's her- really a woman. It turns out he's Kristen Wiig, and that's his secret life. It's He's literally... Kelly, when your script makes no sense. And, oh, you just made a Charlie Kaufman movie. <laughs> Wait, uh, when he stares at the floor, is that is that the fantasy part? Because well, he just like, zones out, and then it cuts to some elaborate CG fantasy. But what's really screwy? He doesn't stare at the floor. He's he's blue eyes. I mean, you just fall pers- into them constantly. He's like well, the thing is, he's pers- so he's so proud of like floors. Pers- stare at the camera, and you're going to be mesmerized by me. Um, Are those that- parts three D. Uh, is it in 3D? Uh, we didn't see it in 3D. But, uh, parts. What were you going to say, Tom? Uh, I'm okay with Kristen Wiig playing second fiddle only if it's Will Forte, if it's a Will Forte movie called... Uh, see? Wait, right she's there. not second banana. Well, but she's the love interest, and the movie's mainly all about him. Uh, and I'm okay with that, because MacGruber, as a character, holds up far better than Walter Mitty. <laughs> He hates us for liking that movie because it was done better in James Bond. In the butt. Banana in the butt. In your, butt, in your, in your butthole. <laughs> Very good, Kelly Wand. Uh, I can't wait till we do a MacGruber podcast. <gasps> Dingus, what's your That's number one? my favorite one? movie of this year, by the way. Oh, too soon. Spoiler. What's your number one favorite product placement corporate logo in a movie that's using a fictional corporation? Um, here's a quote from it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know about their coverage, Bob. Tell me how you're keeping InsuraCare in the black. Wow, Ding is doing a cartoon. That's right. With a Wally Shawn voiceover opposite Craig T. Nelson of Poltergeist fame. Oh, so it's... Uh, yes, Kelly Wand? Wait, what was the Spielberg one with the guy with weird hair who's in Innkeepers? Uh, that would be um, Far 10, and 10. Away. Yeah, Tintin. I did Tintin. Tintin. The corporation is Insure, airplanes. Sure, sure. It's InsuraCare is the corporation. Um, their their corporate logo is your life is in our hands, which is on their pencils. And their logo is this this weird blocky hand that's holding the world as if it's about to drop it, and it looks kind of like a basketball. And you see the corporate logo like back on their on the calendar that's behind Bob Parr in his office, and on the on the on the desk. And you you see it when um, when uh, Wallace Shawn gets punched through all the walls. You see the insurance care logo. <laughs> I just tell watch until I have no idea what movie we're talking. Oh, sorry, about. we're talking about the Inner and Andres. That way, we're talking about the Incredibles. <laughs> I accidentally wrote in my notes here, I was just jotting down, I wrote The Fantastics, which is something completely different, by the way. <laughs> it is. And, uh, and Ricardo Maltabon is awesome. 
Um, but I love that logo. I love that, like that hand holding this world, and and that on the pencil because you see the that while well, Sean's sharpening his pencils before he puts them on his calendar, that it says your life is in our hands. As they're and you know, I think this is just a very trenchant thing right now. Um, it's just this great sort of sad uh, thing about an insurance company that's constantly trying to deny people. I just like the way that little logo looks, that hand holding the world, but holding it, it, it's not holding it like a hand, like carrying hands, like holding something cupped in it. It's the hand upside down, holding the earth as if it's about to drop it. It's like Uh, the way you palm a basketball. And if your hand isn't big enough to hold it up, too bad you're going to drop it. Right. And the hand is so blocky. It doesn't look like there's any way it can hold that, that earth. Um, so it's, so it's, it's the corporate logo of the hand holding the earth and also the corporate, uh, their, their, their tagline of, of your life is in our hands. Dingus, I'm afraid we're going to have to disqualify this because it doesn't appear on a t-shirt. I accept it. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly, what's your number one favorite corporate logo that may or may not appear on a t-shirt and could or could not be real? There's a good hand logo thing in Circle, too, by Dave Eggers. Awesome. Okay, let's go to our reader picks now. <laughs> All right. Um, my number one is uh, Silver Shamrock from Halloween 3, but not the actual Silver Shamrock, but the pumpkin-shaped pixels that make John Carpenter music noises in the opening credits because they tap into our fear of pixels and the color orange. I like you bringing up Halloween 3. That's, that's cool. all I can say about that, Kelly Wand. I like <sighs> Anyone, can you sing some of the the commercial from Halloween Three for us? Bum, 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 bum. Very good. Uh, All right, I have happy uh, Halloween. Oh, I think you might have actually been doing it. Yeah. Halloween, Halloween. Is it? That's the whole song. Happy, happy Halloween, Silver Shamrock. Uh, speaking of Halloween Three, I watched a movie of a Stephen King short story recently, <laughs> and it just simp- it, it's just <laughs> driving home this idea that. That uh, Stephen King's a terrible writer because look what no. get made. Okay, you didn't give Salem's Lot a chance. You didn't get up to the pudding. It was a really good scene with pudding. <laughs> but I watched Children of the Corn, the original. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's your bar for King- Stephen King's writing. It's he didn't Stephen write King's story. King. It's a movie. There's <sighs> even a gratuitous. By the way, there's a gratuitous shot when they're driving in the car to the children to the corn town or whatever. Uh, there's a gratuitous <laughs> shot. Absolute fears of corn, Tom. <laughs> corn um, town. On the dashboard of the car of a copy of Night Shift with the little eyeballs in the hand that I vividly oh, I remember. Because you sent me a copy of Night Shift, Kelly Wan, that, should, that doesn't have the that old cover. It's a, oh, it's it's a great it's a cover. Reprint. It's a great cover, and I vividly remember that as a kid. So the moment I saw that in Children of the Corn, which was shot in 1984, they decide to throw up a copy of Night Shift up there on the car dashboard right in the foreground, You know, the bandaged hand with the eyeballs at the top. Uh, and I was like, you guys, jerks. It would have been scarier with a cob, according to Tom. But uh, King disavows that movie because he didn't work. I'm out. sure he disavows, he disavows almost every, every movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except Maximum Overdrive. Because <laughs> he made it. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Good times. All right, so Kelly, on what, what list? You watched the whole movie. I got to see how this plays out. Yeah, why wouldn't I? What happens? Um, a lot of terrible special effects. <laughs> Corn themed, like so a. Lot- yeah, it's awful. There's nothing worth uh, seeing in it, but it's you know it shows the kids murdering people, and then Linda Hamilton and some guy who looks oh, yeah. like the asshole husband in Dexter, but I don't think it's him. The guy from Lost who was one of the the good or evil 
dudes. At any rate, Linda Hamilton and her husband drive into this town, and these kids just chase them around. And they right. kidnap Linda Hamilton, and yep. then he saves her, and yep. then stuff comes out of the corn, and then there's smoke, and there's a good kid, and there's evil kids, and there's the one evil kid that gets sacrificed, and there's the effect of something moving around under the dirt, and then they get away. <laughs> I remember most of that. The fifth one gets really good because mm-hmm. then it's harvest season and mm-hmm. like a dance they do. Mm-hmm. Didn't we talk about corn earlier this week? Uh-huh. Well, that's going to be the next three by three is favorite uses of corn in a movie. Oh, we were talking about field. Never mind, field of dreams. All right. Oh, right, right. Dingus and I were talking about field of dreams. Yeah, that wasn't the podcast. Kelly, why did you know that someone chokes on a hot dog in field of dreams? What? That's what Dingus told me. Uh, someone chokes on ham in Wolf of Wall Street. We should do. Hey, whoa, 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 chokes. whoa, whoa! Spoiler. Oh, we're not going to see it. Unless uh, you want to see Emma Stone's knobs. We're going to see everything. Yeah, we're, I, make, I, we're making our top ten lists, buddy. We're, we're on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't, uh, we're not so, choosing Lake Mungo. We're, we're seeing things from this year. Let's go to the readers, Kelly Wan. What have they sent us? What have they done with your, your excellent 3 by 3 topic? <laughs> well, so clearly laid out. That's the fun thing, though, is yeah. like hearing how people interpreted my gibberish. That's awesome fun. Or at sure. least misinterpreted it. Awesome fun. That's what Christianity has been based on. Uh, there's like pictures for Fred Bows, so you have so to post describe those. it for us. Yeah. So you're going to just have Using to. Using my words. Yep. <laughs> yeah, paint, words paint, Kelly paint pictures with words. <laughs> Fred Bow writes, Kelly Wan may not be so dumb after all. Or I disagree with that. Tom, are you, you, you and your cat ready? <laughs> Go ahead, sorry. I don't want people to think it's my cat. <laughs> my cat's quiet and exactly the right diet. Wait, what's the word? Oh. Um, Fred Bow. Number three, Omni Consumer Products, Robocop. I like that one. As a logo, it kind of looked like the uh, Carolco logo, which made. Oh, total you're right. Call. It does look like that. It's got the C in the middle, and then the circle. That Dave Eggers book I keep hyping. It's like there's a circle inside the uh, rest of the logo. Actually, that's my favorite logo. Uh, I can't believe he's directing it. I was supposed to say. Okay, number two, Stark Industries, Iron Man. He's directing Robocop. No, Why do you have uh, a problem with that? Circle. Oh, uh, that, yeah, Robocop. Looks more like PG thirteen on crop from the. Uh, Don't know anything about the remake, but, but the the director who's doing it is actually very good. Uh, it's not Aronofsky. It's not Aronofsky, but it's a guy who's done some really cool, thoughtful action stuff in Brazil, or at least one that I've seen. Looks very unviolent, and it shows how. It, Wait, I, quit telling me about the trailer. I don't want to know about that. Yeah, stop that. Well, they yeah. wanted you to know Let's it. Let's move on to Stark Industries, which is the word Stark. Stark Industries from Iron Man. Um, do you remember the logo for that? It's yeah. like uh, Earth, and there's like an arrow that says Stark Industries going across it. They didn't give any reasons for liking these, I should point out. Um, <clears throat> number one, Skynet, <laughs> which I didn't know had a logo. I thought it was just a crazy computer that didn't need isn't it. Isn't it Teledyne, though? Yeah. Skynet's the computer, right? It's not the corporation. But they enclose a picture of someone wearing a Skynet T-shirt. But right. Yeah, that's a product. That's not a corporation. That's, yeah. the, that's the corporation's product. Yeah. Uh, runners up, Lugol from Hot Tub Time Machine, and uh, Mr. Fusion from Back to the Future, which is also not a 
logo. Wait, a corporate. Wait, maybe I am dumb. Remember when we did a three by three on fake products? Yeah, that was fun. I remember that product placement. They misunderstood. Remember when we did favorite country clubs? <laughs> Look, you can't both hate me the exact same amount. <laughs> Samuel Paulson, many-time listener, first-time writer. Samuel Paulson, Sweden. See, this is what I'm saying, Tom. We have one listener in Sweden, so the next pledge drive, we have to do what we did last time and not restrict it to Americans. I actually have something to say to Samuel Paulson, and that is... Hey, Swedes! Oh, damn it. <laughs> They're Norwegians, Mac. <laughs> Will he get that? I don't know. Samuel Paulson, see John Carpenter's The Thing, and just know that, that that's me sending that out to you. The Swedes come off poorly in Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, wait, it's Switzerland. It's in Swedes, is it? <laughs> Swedes, Swiss, whatever. <sighs> Number three, Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> Wait, no, he, he, he's, he's, he's got this. Watch. Gandalf's G-Rune on his fireworks is memorable for all the crazy people like myself who know the stuff from the books. This might be bending the bounds of corporations slightly, but Gandalf might have help from the dwarves in making fireworks. He doesn't need help. Slightly. What do you think the G stands for? Or is he just like gangsta? That's me asking Dingus and Tom's cat. I'm not interested in what Tom thinks. Number two, Kagamusha. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> and number one, uh, many of the most powerful instances of logos come from the past in the form of heraldry. Tom, were you aware of that? You're a theology student. Like Harold Ramis, for instance. <laughs> Harold Lloyd. That guy, Harold Herdrata. Harold and Maud. Harold and Maud, exactly. Harold and Ramus. That was me. Hello? You guess? <laughs> well, my favorite such logo would be the twin-headed eagle of the Holy Roman Empire, Dingus' favorite action movie. I cannot think of a movie that represents it, so instead I'm going with the four squares of the Takeda clan, known from Shogun to Total War. <laughs> History in the middle, and Kurosawa's 1980s samurai epic. Third. That's Jesus, why. Two. Shouldn't Samuel Paulson see the? Uh, is it called the Eagle? That Roman yeah, thing with Jamie Bell? The, yeah, yeah, Jamie Bell and Channing Tatum, and they're actually trying to recover that thing that you're talking about, Samuel. So. Channing Tatum, the girl from Bad News Bears. Tatum Channing? Did I do it wrong? I need help. You know, with Jump Street was on the other night, and I thought it was kind of Channing old. Tatum. Yeah, yeah. It's really about um, property rights, you know. Thomas the movie, uh, The Eagle, right. The Eagle, yeah. yeah. Uh, Don't see the one with Michael Fassbender and Olga Kirilenko. That's yeah. the one not to see. That's also called The Eagle? No, that's. it was around the same time. What was that one called? I like her. It's, it's the same sort of thing. It's like Romans versus Barbarians. Mm. Wait, that's And that's the bad one. The good one is Channing Tatum and Jamie Bell. King Arthur's kind of that, too, huh? Mm. Uh, if you consider Englishmen Romans. I do for this three by three. All right, and I wonder too. Did uh, did Paul Weimer Oops. get scooped? Oh wait, I forgot to read um, Samuel Paulson's number one. Ah, right. My that's called that's called Centurion, I think. Centurion, yes, Dingus, I think you're right. <laughs> did you guys read Joseph Wamba ever? Wamba. Yeah. No, but I like saying his name. Uh, um, he wrote the Onion Field, right? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. 
Uh, okay. I do guess I do too. Who's but Evelyn Waugh? Gives different. It gives different. Who's terms afraid of Evelyn Waugh? Boners. Yeah, yeah. Wait, no, that's from Choir Boys, and one of them was Diamond Cutter, and one Diamond of them Cutter, was Blue Vayner, Blue Vayner. Yeah, yeah. That's from Choir Boys. How funny! Wait, you guys are making that sound dirty. It is. That's as dirty as the G on Gandalf's fireworks. Huh, Tom? And number one (laughs) for Samuel Paulson's three best corporate logo slogan t-shirt inventions is Goodbye Lennon, one of my favorite movies of all time. It depicts – have you seen that, Tom? Goodbye Lennon. I have. It is very good. It's the guy from uh, Rush. Uh, plays the uh, one with the Joe's from Gordon Levitt bicycle messenger movie. That's premium rush. I'm just uh, talking about regular rush. Oh, I, uh, just, uh, I think his name is Daniel Bruhl and he plays a fella in East Germany who doesn't want his aging mother to know that, uh, communism has collapsed. That's not, that's good by Lennon, right? Did I just embarrass myself? Is Daniel Bruhl the guy from rush? And what was that one? I mean, he's, he's been in a lot of stuff, but I think that's just what How was the one. I really liked him in though. Damn it. Right, go, ahead. Right. go ahead. So yeah, what's the what's the goodbye Lenin? Wait, communism collapsed in East Germany. It did, yes, in East uh, Berlin, I believe, or in Berlin. Well, we're talking about reality. So anyway, um, not alternate histories, Tom. In little video game, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. It depicts the fall of communism through the eyes of a young East German man who has to protect his housebound mother from the shock of knowing her beloved DDR has ended. In one memorable scene, old friends and family are assembled in their apartment for a birthday when a Coke banner is suddenly displayed on a neighboring building, prompting her son to delve deeper into his elaborate ruse of keeping communism alive and well in their little apartment. The iconic logo manages to be both a garish blight and a consumerist burst of color to a drab world of concrete housing. That's what I was trying to get at with this topic. Thank you. Someone fucking gets it. Thank you, Samuel Paulson, for tuning out. The static of these two buffoons I deal with every week, which I think was his purpose. Uh, Paul Weimer, three best fake logos in movies. <sighs> I tried. That's me. Uh, the number three one, he says. <laughs> I don't like reading aloud. The distinctive red-white pie slices that make up the red octagonal logo of the Umbrella Corporation resume. Well... <laughs> Sorry, that's just my reaction to that movie. But which Resident Evil movie? Uh, he didn't point that out. So if there's no colon, it has to be the first one. Just like when you get the oscopy. Number two, the Gatorade-like Brondo logo with a green lighting bolt. The Gatorade-like Brondo. Okay, so there's a hyphen should be between those two. Uh, I use Brondo for products. Yeah, that's why this this topic, Kelly, and we've done this topic before, and it was great. And these emails would be awesome for that. So, you know, at least people got a second chance at it. Uh, I don't like you. And number one. Because <laughs> I remember using, uh, I, I'm not cussing, this is the name of the corporation in Idiocracy, but I remember uh, Buttfuckers being a, a great moment where, they're, where the Fuddruckers progressively, the name gets closer and closer to what the joke is. And then in the future at some point, that's the actual Corporate logo is buttfuckers. Yeah. But speaking That's of the name, and speaking not. of buttfuckers, I would have wanted to use Minotaur from Role Models. What was that? The car? No, that's the sports drink that they're trying to sell. Oh, the- oh, on a car, but isn't there like a Minotaur branded car? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the name of the drink is, isn't it called Minotaur? 
I think so. And there's a big old like pickup truck with a bull's head or whatever on it. Yeah, that sounds. Yeah, cool. and and Sean William Scott dresses up as a minotaur. Jiggis, <laughs> <laughs> you've recently said things that make me want to rewatch Role Models, and I love you, man. Yeah, there's no reason not to. <laughs> Um, Sorry, Kellywan, you were reading listener submissions from a previous 3x3 that we're redoing. So go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, you... Uh, Buttfuckers is the name and not the logo. The logo would be Fuckers Eating Carl's Jr. <laughs> no, like the lightning bolt from Joe vs. Volcano. I see. Very good. I mean, Blood Simple. Number one, the oversized O with the otherwise retro future font title of Zorg Industries is the fifth element. All right, I hate my topic. You guys are right. My runner-up would be almost certainly scooped by one of you. <laughs> the Ghostbusters red do not symbol with the white ghost in it. See? Mm. That's what I meant. That's yeah. not the same as what you were talking about. That's Mr. fine. Yeah, I'm sure they're incorporated. That's a corporation. That's good. <sighs> Any I'm serious. I'm serious. Oh, all right. Might be an LLC. Even if it's just I can LLC. just hear Tom's disdain pouring across the internet. Limited Liability Corporation. That's an LLC. I'm sure that I didn't actually. I honestly didn't think of Ghostbusters. So good job. Me or him? Paul. I'm praising Paul, not you, oh. Mr. Country Club. Oh. But see, it's called the Woodcock Country Club. Uh, yeah, the cock. Oh, you're the one who's like Mr. Woodcock in the movie. Oh wait, what was the kind? Wood, wood club, clubwood, stickwood, bushwood. Yes. See, it's got both, but they're also both golf themed. That's Clever. why it's my number three. Clever. But yeah, like two. I didn't think about it. Tastes great together. Scott Andrews writes, "Hello, QT3." <laughs> my favorite logo is the Whalen Corporation logo on Android David's fingerprint in Prometheus. I can't believe this is the first time we've gotten this logo. Yeah, I am surprised, the, too. I thought for sure Will and Yutani would show up before now. Uh, well, it's showing up in, as Prometheus and not Alien. Yeah, well, you, you think about it. There's a whole generation of people who are just going to see Prometheus first and not know the Aliens movies. Uh, Maybe Scott is that young. We don't know. He didn't give his age. It's like, I think we already Maybe I already said this, but like whenever you're whatever you saw when you were kids, the best thing. So like that's why kids now think the prequels are better. They don't. They don't. Yeah, Kiernan doesn't. Sure they don't. No, he won't even watch. Them. Kiernan. Oh, he won't. Or no. did he just? Did you brainwash him? No, no. I've offered many times because you look. You're always looking for stuff to watch with your kid. And so, as much as I loathe the prequels, I, I, you know, we watched the movies, and and I said, let you know, anytime you want to watch Phantom Menace, let's do it. And he's just like, eh. what grounds that does he give? Just like, eh. I no think Star that Wars. I think that he's just got there's so much product, he just doesn't care. He's just yeah, that's true. He likes Star that's Wars. He liked stuff. it plenty, but he's not interested in that. That's part. the thing. We didn't get anything else. That's why we were. And the guys who just had like Walton's style Lone Ranger radio programs were like, yeah, if it's not his voice, it's not the same. If it's Johnny Depp, never mind. Uh, yeah, so unnecessary. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and thanks for all the podcasts from Scott Andrews. So that implies he's at least four. <laughs> In answer to Tom's question, he's at least four. He could be five. Scott, let us know your age. We we're curious if you understand that the Aliens movies predated Prometheus and that you should have used one of those logos. He can't be five because the podcast is only four years. Oh, good point. Right. Well, he could have listened to older 
yeah. episodes. They're 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 archived in the Library of Congress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they have <laughs> they're in the something institute because they contribute historical uh, legalistic uh, significance. You guys there? Yep. No. Scott Dobrosilski. Scott Dobrosilski. Scott Dobros. Yes, or Dobroshelsky, I believe. Dobroshelsky? I've practiced saying his name. I've done games podcasts with him. So I've oh. Scott Dobroshelsky, yep. There's it's a, it's a it's an invisible H. Just like your L's are too visible. <laughs> Tom. Uh, hey guys, I think only one of these is technically a corporation. See, I understand the confusion. Uh, number three, Ghostbusters. <laughs> number two, Robocop, the Omnicorp logo. Number one, the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. And what's the corporation there? I don't know. That's all he wrote. Scott and Jamie. Jaime? Jamie. Jaime. It smells like Jamie Lannister. <laughs> oh, that's Jaime? Jaime Lannister. Outside of Westeros? All right. I don't know what the Life Aquatic logo is either. Just the jumpsuits? No, I'm sure that that um, that what's his name has a has a corporation. I just don't know what the. Uh... I think the logo is a is a red knit cap. Oh, it might be. Then that's acceptable. It is now. Aaron Vaughn writes, "Dear QT3 three by three, here are my choices for three uses corporate logos on fabric and movies." <laughs> I also want to take a minute to say that this isn't written too late. I saw the early update for Tom's thing on Banshee Chapter and couldn't be happier to see a one-off podcast with the movie's creative force as the guest. Ah, good. I love listening to the normal QD3 podcast so much that seeing a film featured due to the director being game to join in on the fun is one of the reasons this will remain my favorite podcast. But I guess I deserve it if that's as good as it gets for me. <laughs> Should I see that movie? Banshee chapter? Yeah. I think so. It was one of my favorite horror things I saw this year. Uh, yeah, so I, I saw it and really liked it. And uh, just on a lark, the, oh, the director retweeted a tweet that I posted about the review. So I found out you could click on somebody's Twitter profile, and sometimes they would link to a website, and sometimes the website would have an email contact. So I just used that and emailed him and wasn't sure if he'd get back to me. And he immediately got back to me. He's like, sure, let's chat tomorrow afternoon. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a really cool indie horror movie that does some nifty stuff. You remember how I talked to you in the scene Grave Encounters? Yeah, it's that kind of thing. It's uh you know it's it's very different from Grave Encounters. It's not the same sort of thing, but it's uh it's an indie horror film that has limited resources and they do some really cool things with their limited resources. Is it found footage? Nope, not really. Hmm. Okay. It's got so the reason I watched it and maybe this will tell you Kelly one. It's got Ted Levine. Oh, uh, that's Lurch. Done and oh, I think you did said that before, and I don't understand what that was a reference to. Uh, Ted Cassidy, uh. Banshee chapter, right? Okay, but yeah, so I did a whole podcast, which uh, folks listening to this might be surprised to accidentally bump into it. Where I sat, his name was Blair Erickson. I sat down with him and just was like, oh, I liked your movie. This was cool, and that was cool. And he told me about stuff that he did. And you I, talked I, to him I, like your cat. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to rub your tummy. I'm going to scratch your little ears. Ted Levine's here. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, Aaron, thank you very much. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Banshees are like the Irish chupacabras. Not Tom. Mm, no, can't go with you on that. The biggest states <laughs> everything we say. Number three of Aaron Vaughn's, I don't want to close my eyes, don't want to fall asleep because I'll miss you, baby. Oh, good Lord. Armageddon. From Tom's favorite, Michael. Armageddon. Oh, I hate that thing. Of course. Yeah. She remembers that line. 
When the meteor shower hits NYC, I remember vividly seeing a guy in the train station get nailed by one of the meteors and flying right into the camera. What sticks out the most is that he's wearing one of those stupid I Love New York shirts. I went on to grow up thinking that he probably had it coming. That was right after – didn't Armageddon come out before 9-11? Yes. Yeah, but it was – watching so that guy would live. Well, watching a post 9-11 does have, because you do see, I think you do see the Twin Towers, like, all decimated with meteor holes punched through one of them. Michael Bay's a prophet, and that's what pain and gain. 9-11 had nothing to do with meteors, Kelly Wand. It was terrorists. All right, you believe what the mainstream <laughs> Kelly Wand is a meteorite truther. <laughs> I've been right about everything else tonight. Terrorists are stone snobs. Number two, we put the picture on everything, Spaceballs, when Mel Brooks breaks the... There's the most overrated movie of all time in the nerd bracket, Tom. Don't you think Spaceballs is you the... Well, okay, I think the Schwartz is strong with that one. Opens the merch. Oh, my God, I can't believe you just did that. The did double you actually quote there, that, uh, Tom? I don't know what you're talking about. You don't quote anything and you quoted that? Yeah. He's perverse. Which you... you you like it when the weather's perverse in movies, but you don't like when Tom's perverse. Power's changed you. And number one, Shake and Bake, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Uh, this movie made me think about Wonder Bread in a way I never have before, mostly by cross-relating it to a baking product and flaming car wrecks. It's everywhere in the movie, namely Bobby's racing suit. I don't remember if we saw the bread. I don't think we did. I think he's the bread. No runners up for me unless you want to count John C. Riley's Old Spice racing suit for my number one choice. Old Spice was always kind of a second place brand. Thanks for the podcast, Aaron, or podcast. Podcast. Not this one. He's not thanking us for this one yet. Yet. Oh, we have. But six is a pretty high turnout for a topic this idiotic. All right. So next week's three by three. Hey, uh, wait. I've got oh. runners up. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dig has extended it, Tom. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Willfully. What? Ah, see? Wait, what's that mean? So I liked the, I, the other, the, uh, I had a couple, but did, did we already talk about Lucana? Lu- Lucana Corp? Lacuna Corp, sorry. Right. No, we Not on this podcast. Yeah. We probably did when we did, uh, the, the topic previously. All right. So anyway, the, the, for, uh, so forget about Lacuna. I don't know if that, if the topic is just something that I've seen online with this sort of, partial brain thing from uh, Eternal Sunshine. But the the other like bland corporate logo and I kind of like these bland corporate logos from the future, um, like the Lunar Industries one, is the multinational United logo from District 9. Uh, it's just this MNU with this weird little symbol in the middle of the U. Uh, and I really like that logo. So anyway, sorry to interrupt. I had a couple of, uh, of runners-up, so I'll just throw that one in. Kelly Wand, any runners-up? Um, spectacular optical from Videodrome. Remember that? I have not. That's um, that's a, that's Cronenberg, isn't it? Yeah. Should I go back and watch that one? Because if yeah. I didn't like the one about the rape slugs that you made me watch, ah, uh, it's better than that. It's James yeah. Woods. Mm, not so. Wait, and I'm. I want you to explain the ending to me. A Videodrome. Yeah. The ending, Kelly Wanda Videodrome, is Deborah okay. Harry is hot. Oh, she's way more. Who's the other chick in that? Is there another chick in that? I, I just remember it as a Deborah Harry movie. I, I, I don't know. There's a bunch of them. <clears throat> um, what were you going to say? I don't have anything. 
All right. Get out of here. So okay. So there's a there's we all saw the Hobbit movie. Uh, yes. Unfortunately, uh, the one bright moment in the Hobbit movie, and it's only bright because I really didn't like the rest of it. And I actually actually like this moment in the trailer. Um, is Martin Freeman is talking to Gandalf and he's fingering the ring in his pocket. Get it? And he said. <laughs> And he says to Gandalf, he says to Gandalf, Gandalf, when I was in the cave, I found something. And Gandalf turns to him and says, yeah, what is it? And and you know he's going to confess about the ring. (laughs) And you know he's going to confess about having found the ring. And he thinks for a moment and then he says, I found my courage. And he kind of smiles sadly and you know he's lied to Gandalf. um, And that this is a turning point for Bilbo. Somehow gets away with it. uh, And that eventually, you know, he's going to turn into the weird Ian Holm demon that, that jumps out in, in the first Lord of the Rings movie. Uh, but that lie, it's a great little moment. Um, and it made me think of my favorite lies in movies. And I want to take one off the table simply because I know Dingus will steal it from me anyway Damn. by saying that's a, that's, a, that's a cool lie moment. It's in a terrible movie. I want to highlight an awesome lie moment in an awesome movie. There's a bit in The Assassination of Jesse James where uh, several of his gang members are in a house and Jesse James arrives unexpected and they don't want him to know something and they're scared of him. And Jesse James, furthermore, is a little bit paranoid about people betraying him. So that dynamic sets this up and uh, Sam Rockwell has to lie about how he injured himself. Hmm? And he says he was on the roof uh, because there was a, a cat, uh, there's a kite up there. And he starts to say cat, or no, he starts to say kite, and then he changes it right after getting the syllable out, and he says cat, and he changes his mind and tries to pass off that he was up there to get the cat down. And Brad Pitt, as Jesse James says, oh, has asked him what he was doing up there in, in December, and he just gets himself in this lie that makes no sense, and he's terrible at it. And the dynamic of him having to lie, and then Brad Pitt as Jesse James, knowing he's been lied to, and how he's going to react, it's just an awesome scene in the assassination of Jesse James. So that would be my favorite lie moment in a movie, um, for how, for how it's delivered, how it's reacted to, the importance of it, uh, how it leads into things later in the movie, about trusting and lack of trust. Um, so what I want from you guys are your three favorite lies in movies. Uh, I have a question. I will not be fielding it until you have a list. Thank God. Thank <laughs> so, you. Oh, if you have any uh, examples, I can't believe you took Cat Kite off the. That's, yep, because yeah, well, you were just going to steal it, and just for the example of it, because it's not a funny moment. It, it just has serious character implications. It tells us a lot about Sam Rockwell's character, uh, not Bob Ford. Which is so. Does the lie have to unfold in that scene, or can it be like a long range lie? <laughs> it can be a long range lie. Just tell me about the lie, and okay. it can. Right. It can. It doesn't necessarily have to have longer term implications. Maybe you just like the way it was delivered. Maybe you like the performance. Maybe you like the role of the lie in the plot. Uh, just give me a lie that you'll really like in a movie. Uh, so send us your picks at 3 by 3 at quarter to 3com That's the number 3, the letter X, and then the number 3. Then put a little at sign and write quarter to 3 out.com. Uh, we would love to read that on the air. You have two weeks for this topic. Because next what? week we are going to do our uh, our top ten movies of the year. Those tend to run a little long. So instead of doing a three-by-three, oh. three, we're just going to forestall this. So you've got two weeks to think about it. We'll remind you about it at the end of next week's podcast. Um, but just you know, put that in your pipe, smoke it, mull over it, mm. uh, and, and send us your picks. Forestalls are in Thomas Covenant. Don't understand the words you're saying. That was more for Dangus. <laughs> uh, tell you what, I did. You will be glad to know I watched a couple of found footage movies. I can tell you about. Oh, um, 
I watched one again. I mentioned to prepare. You asked me if I'd seen uh, something about the Earth's core. Um, at at the Earth's core, right? I have a hard time with prepositions. Kind of it wanted movie. Should be the at that at symbol you're talking. So about. I watched. I did watch a movie called The Dinosaur Project about found foot. What? What? Why didn't so, you watch what I told you? I'm getting there. It's a found footage movie about people who crash land in dinosaur territory in Africa, which hasn't been discovered yet. And their helicopter crashes because some pterodactyls fly into it. Ah, it sounds good. It crashes, and it's a found footage movie so far. And what they do is they befriend one of those little dinosaurs that spits its its wings out and spits poison in Wayne Knight's face. It's one of those little guys. They befriend some of those, How? and they they put by giving it M and M's. True story. Uh, so it's like ET. It's like ET. Well, those are Reese's pieces, Kelly. On please. And an alien, please. Uh, and an alien, right? So the, and then they put a camera on the on the head of the little dinosaur, and then they're following it. So it's a found footage movie with footage of a of a little dinosaur cam, and they're watching it swim around. I haven't finished it yet, but I think it's going to run into a bigger dinosaur eventually. Um, Not dopey. That's a dwarf. Uh, the other found footage movie I watched is called Invasion, and it is entirely – it never changes. There's a little bookend thing, but it's entirely – and it's got to be like, like 70, 80 minutes of this dash cam footage of a police car during an alien invasion. Ah. But this alien invasion, there's no budget for this movie. So really, you're just hearing a lot of stuff over the radio. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, I think there are maybe four other vehicles that appear in the movie, which is shot entirely at night on dirt country roads. So you're seeing a lot of headlights what? going past down a dark road while actors talk. Um, and then every now and then they'll stop the car and some actors will go around and get in front and do something in the, the headlight. And it's one take. So there you go. Down mm. footage. They should just get sucked into the ship. They get. Uh, I hate to spoil it. It gets nuked, which so it makes you wonder how would they find the footage? Right. You, just like Apollo eighteen. Right. It's just a footage movie. There's no. Maybe way. it's a related incident, and all found footage movies are preserved by a race we haven't discovered yet. I like your thinking. No, you don't. <laughs> it's better than what they did with at the end of AI. Uh, World Trade Center. No, AI, that, that movie where suddenly you, you fast forward. your mom for an hour? You fast forward, yeah, you fast forward a thousand years in the future after the world's been taken over by aliens. Why don't you just keep re-bringing her back for an hour? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's see. Uh, any other bookkeeping to close out with? Uh, <laughs> follow us on Twitter at QT3. Uh, There's that as well. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, so join us for a yes. list of top ten movies. What we will be doing is we each draw up a list of ten movies ranked from one to ten. Our first place movie gets ten points. Our second place movie gets nine, and so on, to where the tenth movie gets one point. We score the movies just for the order that we're going to talk about them in. Um, and I think this year, I could be wrong, I think we're going to have some weird, interesting um, I don't know about uh, discrepancies. They're just distinct yeah. lists this year. I think it's going to be an interesting year. It's not going to be all of us just sort of blathering on about how awesome Winter's Bone was. <laughs> Take shelter. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, join us for that next week. We're looking forward to it. We hope you are as well. Uh, and then afterwards, we'll uh, resume our, our weekly movies and do our three-by-three three of our favorite lies. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by uh, Christian Miltransky. That's Christian Moroski. And uh, we had Kelly Wand. Do true lies count?
Um, Mobius strips the four man's caduceus, Hundingus. Quit your belly aching and come up with something to get us out of this. Ah, fives. Why are they so excited about fives? <laughs> <laughs>